welcome to episode 99, 99, I think that's all the ways I know to say 99, uh, episode 99, wow, that happened fast, um, I've been recording a very special episode 100 that's coming next week with my lovely wife, Dr. Casilda Jetta. Uh, many of you have asked to hear from her over the last couple of years since I've been doing this podcast, and I have resisted those calls. Um, but I convinced her and uh, convinced myself to to go ahead and do it for episode 100. I wanted to do something special, and I was thinking put together a, a best of kind of thing, and I still would like to do that. Um, but uh, that takes time, and I, I don't have a lot of time right now trying to do as much writing as I can. So any project that sounds fun but time-consuming is something I'm trying to avoid, like the like the plague or like Ebola, I guess we say these days. Um, yeah, so I've been talking with Casilda about her, her amazing, incredible life, uh, we talked for almost two hours last night and barely scratched the surface, so we're going to continue uh, later today or tomorrow. And uh, so next week, you're going to get yourself a Joe Rogan-length podcast. Uh, I think we're going to go two and a half hours or something, maybe more. Depends how much she's willing to spill. Uh, so far, we've covered her childhood, the war for independence in Mozambique, um, right through medical school and her research for the World Health Organization, which involved her physically uh, inspecting a thousand African penises. And uh, yeah, I won't ruin the other highlights, but yeah, there's a lot of crazy shit in that woman's life, I'll tell you. And that doesn't even include meeting me. Um, so that's coming next week. This week is a, another episode I'm really happy about. This is um, with Justin DeRoyter, who's a friend of mine here in Portland. He's, as you'll hear, he's a, I, th I think he's a lieutenant at, in the fire department. Um, you know, fascinating work. That whole world of uh, firefighters is a world that we don't really think about much, but it's a very interesting community, sort of um, very different from the rest of our world in some important ways, um, some very admirable ways as well. But this episode is is interesting not just because of Justin's job, but because of his personal story. Uh, as you'll hear, he's a very interesting, thoughtful guy. Um, with I, I would I'm tempted to say contradictions, but they're not contradictions. He just embodies. Um, qualities that we often think of as being contradictory, but he embodies them with a lot of uh, class and grace and style. And um, you can see uh, when you listen to him, you'll see how these things that we often think of as being contradictory are, in fact, perfectly complementary. No ads this week, but I do want to thank uh, Basin and Range for that funky intro music. That's Basin and Range dot oh sorry Basin and Range Band dot com. You can check out more of their music there. As always, many thanks to Carsey Blanton for her funky, wonderful, beautiful, deep, thoughtful song "Smoke Alarm," which fits perfectly with this episode, uh, which you'll hear at the end of the episode. As always. And thank you to uh, Danny Osment at EmeraldCityPro.com for the sound engineering. 
And who else do I have to thank? Shore Design T-shirts, as always. They're great. They're cool. If you're ever in Chiang Mai, look up Bennett. Uh, saw an email from a listener who um, was in Chiang Mai recently, and he dropped Bennett a line, and I guess they got together, and he went to the, the warehouse or the factory or something. I've never been there, but I hope to soon. I, Chiang Mai is one of my favorite places. If you've never been to Thailand, I would encourage you to go. It's it's Of all the places I've been, it's the one place I'm comfortable recommending to just about everyone. It's exotic um, but not like crazy difficult and, and dirty and, you know, dangerous like a lot of other places that are exotic. It's uh, the trains work, the buses work, the people are kind, the food is fucking delicious. It's, uh, it's a lovely, lovely country. Although in the, in the hot season, which is in uh, like November to April, you will, you will die. It's, you will die from, humidity it's incredibly humid but other than that and and you know even in that season if you're on the islands in the south who cares if it's humid you're jumping in and out of the water all the time so but why am i talking about thailand i guess because sure design t-shirts is based in chiang mai one of the great cities of the world many thanks as always to those of you who write me uh emails, send in donations, uh, show your appreciation in whatever way, buy t-shirts, etc. You can get those at chrisryanphd.com. By the way, at the store, uh, got some really nice emails this week. Uh, Joseph, uh, Sean, uh, I think, Sean, when I wrote back to you, I called you uh, by the wrong name. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but if you hear this, maybe you'll forgive me. Uh, Austin, uh, and, uh, and people who I'm forgetting, I'm sure. Anyway, thank you all for your emails. Um, I'm sorry I can't answer them, them all personally, but I, I try to. I'm running way behind. And in fact, if, if I haven't answered your email, sometimes that means that the email was so interesting and meaningful that I set it aside because I'm waiting to answer it when I've got free time. And unfortunately, I never have free time, so they tend to languish the ones that really deserve an immediate response are the ones that don't get it. So I'm sorry for that injustice, uh, but it is the nature of reality. I'm taking another long flight here in a few days, so maybe I'll get to it then. I've been flying back and forth to Spain. I was just there two weeks ago, and I'm going again next week. Not for fun. I mean, that's that's what life has become. Now I'm like, shit, I have to go back to Spain again. You know, it's it's not... It's not the way it used to be, um, but that's because I'm not going to hang out. I'm going to deal with paperwork and bullshit. Anyway, Christmas is coming up. If you're planning to spend a shitload of money on Amazon.com and you want to support the podcast, please go to ChrisRyanPhD.com. Click on the Amazon link. You'll see on the right margin there and go ahead and buy your shit on Amazon. We'll get 2 or 3% of whatever you spend. It's a great way to support the podcast uh, You know, with money you're spending anyway. It doesn't come out of your pocket. It comes out of Amazon's pocket, and fuck, we all know they can afford it, right? So uh, thank you, everybody. Hope you enjoy this episode. Short, brief intro this week. I'll make up for it later, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, hope you're all well. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to play you into this with uh, a tune called Days of Fire by Nintin Sawney. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. S-A-W-H-N-E-Y featuring Natty, who's a, a rapper. They're both from London. And uh, 
The song is largely about the bombs going off on the subways in London, as you'll hear. No more trains going that way. There's no more trains coming this way. You better make your way home, son. There's something going down in London. Well, that ain't gonna stop me. So I step out the station and what do I see? Traffic for days. Let me walk a bit and I'll see where it get me. Then it all went slow motion. Everything slow motion. First came the flash of light, then the sound of explosion. And we're still in slow motion. We're still in slow motion. On these streets where I played, and these trains that I take, I saw fire. But now I've seen a city change in oh so many ways. Since the days of fire. Since the days of fire. In what way did the appearance or actions of this man arouse the suspicion that he was about to on the train going that way there were too many people coming this way delayed trains delayed trains didn't plan for death on the subway so i step out the station brazilian name all over tv realization i was on the next train could have been me then it all went slow motion everything slow motion first the flash of light then the rise of emotion and i'm still in slow motion i'm still in slow motion on these streets where I played, and these trains that I take, I saw fire. On these streets where I played, and these trains that I take, I saw fire. But now I've seen the city change in oh so many ways. Since the days of fire. Since the days of fire. One day going that way, one day going this way Those summer days, that crazy face like a jackknife car on the highway Just two mad situations, fire on the news, fire on TV A bus, a train station, the crossfire sights of destiny Now it's all gone slow motion, everything slow motion The lights gone out, I feel no more emotion I'm all out of emotion, I'm out of emotion on these streets where I played, and these trains that I take, I saw fire. On these streets where I played, and these trains that I take, I saw fire. But now I've seen the city change in oh so many ways. Since the days of fire. Since the days of fire. All right, I am here on a rainy afternoon with Justin DeRider, who is a friend of mine here in Portland, uh, who actually we met through the podcast, right? You reached out when I mentioned I was coming to Portland, is that how? Well, yeah, I first heard you on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's when I heard about your book, bought your book, read your book, started following you on Twitter, right? and then uh, started listening to your own podcast. And then I tweeted something, I wanted to go watch a, what was it, basketball? Yeah, or? it was called, it was a uh, March Madness. March Madness, yeah. and I, was, I just tweeted like, hey, anyone who wants to join me, I'm going to be here, and you showed up, it was really cool. Showed yeah. up, yeah, it was just like, I was going to a jiu-jitsu seminar that day, and I saw the text, and then it was just like the, or the tweet, and it worked out perfect that day, because we're busy all the time, we got a teenage daughter, and volleyball and it just happened to be like we had a couple hours that afternoon so we met up i brought my wife mandy and yeah 
and yeah, uh, yeah we enjoyed it it was fun it was like and i just remember being kind of that was the first time i met somebody through twitter right famous you know such as yourself <laughs> <laughs> famous yeah 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 uh so and then uh and then you invited me to join your your crew one day on the fire truck yeah we brought you down to threes and <laughs> every, that, every yeah. five-year-old boy's fantasy right there yeah it was fun well i think we talked about work or something that yeah. first time i met you and, yeah. and i like to just bring people in you know and let them see what we do and and what it's like and i think that's important too uh where i'm at you know downtown in portland there and it's northwest Portland, real busy area of town, and a lot of people. And so I just I like to bring people in and show right. them around. And and uh, for you, it, you know, having to come down and meet the guys and that was fun. Play some soccer. Played some soccer. Yeah, I got to experience grocery shopping with a fire crew. Yeah. That was great. Seeing all the women checking you guys yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. We uh, we I, enjoy. I think it. the dude, the manager, even like you know, offered you free food or something. They'll do that sometimes, you know. Yeah. Sometimes people will try to pay our bill and, and such, but we buy our own food. We we kind of take pride in that and, and stuff, so we never let people buy our food. But uh, but we'll uh, they, a lot of times people do. They, they'll they'll bring cookies by the station. People like it's it's fun just going out on a call and and people waving at you and kids waving at you and there's something I think kind of magical about that. Yeah. Um, it's something I enjoyed as a kid and. And I always wanted to be a fireman. That's all. That's all I could talk about. Really? Yeah, yeah. From the time I was, my mom said two. You know. Oh shit. And so uh, to do it, I just uh, I like it. And I like, but I like that interaction. I like uh, I like being able to wave at the kids and be able to show them around and and, and all that. So it's fun. It's been. A I'm good, surprised you don't have a Dalmatian. I, I met your dog. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're two. They're, I mean, I've got a Doberman Pinscher, so he's he's neurotic enough. A, Dalmatians a big, are a like, big gay Doberman. He's Pinscher very model. gay. That's funny <laughs> that you said that because I've always said that he. This is a gay dog, and uh, my father was gay, so I can uh, I can I can smell him. You know? Even the closet ones, I can smell. That's funny. Uh, uh, yeah. Hold on. All right, I just I just uh, paused for a second here because I wanted to confirm with Justin mm-hmm. that it was cool to talk about your dad because I know that story a little bit and didn't know if that was something you were um, comfortable talking about publicly. Yeah, for sure. I you know growing up, uh, I grew up in kind of a redneck, blue collar, kind of a dirty town. You know, it was a you know medium sized area. Just a lot of you know it was growing up a lot of the highest per capita teen pregnancies and STDs and unemployment. Where was that? Just about an hour north of here, Longview, Kelso area, uh, Cowlitz County. And, right. I mean, there's some good people, don't get me wrong, and there's some nice things about that area. I love that area, especially you know, outdoor stuff. There's some great, beautiful stuff around there. But uh, it's just not a good place to really be raised, I think. And um, certainly, e- even today, it's tough to be openly gay in that community. I talked to a gay guy up there oh, a couple years ago. I was out, out drinking, and, uh, and he said, it's getting better, you know, but... But there's still a lot of people that aren't comfortable with that up there. Yeah. And my dad was up there during the 70s and certainly wasn't comfortable with it. But, I, you know, growing up, I didn't tell a lot of people. Um, but I'm, I'm, yeah. So your dad was out when he, you were a kid? He was out when I was a kid, yeah. Yeah. He'd, uh, kind of an interesting story. You know, I came about just because he's a, he got hired as a school teacher. He was teaching um, uh, high school choir and, you know, kind of the music program. But he was young. He was only like 20 years old when he got his degree and was teaching for the first time. And so he was gay, but he was in, he got hired in Lombie in like the, the worst town that he could probably end up in as a young gay guy. And Where was he from? He was from originally New Zealand and then uh, from New Zealand to Seattle. 
Oh, really? So he was like 10 years old when he moved to New Zealand. Or he moved from New Zealand. 10 so, years old. So he, what did his parents do that took them to see my grandfather, my Yeah, my grandparents were in Holland through the war. My grandfather played the upright bass in just different nightclubs and, and, and you know, jazz nightclubs and a lot of radio type stuff. Really? And played with Elphus, Gerald, and Pearl Bailey. Not, you know, exclusively, but like they'd come to the, you know, they did European tours. and So he was legitimate you know, upright bass player and, and, and made the rounds doing that. But after then the war came, my, my oldest uncle was born in Hall and the war came. Uh, they were Nazi occupied when my grandparents were out. And, and I can't, I wish I would have heard some of the stories as I got older. I remember my grandmother showing me pictures and they didn't get it. They, they kept just a couple items was all they got to keep out of there. But it was, it sounds pretty rough. I think that she was probably raped. Uh, that was pretty common then. Um, By the Germans. Yeah, yeah. Um, that area, you know, we didn't, it was never really talked about much, but it was rough. I mean, yeah. like, stories of, of living on sugar beets, you know, cooking it over a candle for multiple nights, you know. Were they in Amsterdam? They were just north of Amsterdam. I'm not sure the city. I should know all this stuff, and I've been told it, but the problem is I've never been there, so right. it doesn't to. stick. Um, I've always wanted to go. but So I grew up, you know, with a pretty heavy European flavor growing up. Um, but my grandparents, after the war, sorry, we're talking about them. They, they, they went from the war. They wanted to get the States. So um, they stayed in Holland through throughout the, the occupation? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. I think they tried getting out of it before, but it just wasn't time. My, grand, my grandfather wanted to get the States. And right. so, he, you know, back then you had to have a host family. And there was some criteria to meet, and they didn't make the time. And then after the war, they couldn't get in. So they went to New Zealand, and that's where my father was born, in Wellington. And uh, he was there until, I think, about 10 I have another uncle born there, and then to, to Seattle, just south of Seattle. And did your grandfather continue the musical career? No, grandmother, once they started having the kids, I think he, he picked it up again in New Zealand and then decided, uh, you know, my grandmother decided that having kids at home and having him out at night wasn't fun. So right. she put the foot down, and he never picked it up again. He sold his and never picked it up again. Even when my father was learning the upright bass in high school and, and played it throughout college on a scholarship, uh, my grandfather never helped him. Never, oh. never touched it again. It was I wonder, really weird. Was I wonder weird if guy. there was trauma associated with his former life. You know, like there was some sort of a clean. I don't break. know. The guy never. The, growing up, the game was to count how many words he'd say in a, in a whole evening, and it'd be like one hand. He never talked. <laughs> really, he never talked. My grandmother didn't let him though either. Oh, see, yeah, yeah, interesting. It was a very interesting deal. But he painted in his later years. I'll show you some paintings. Yeah. Um, so he found an outlet for it, but. He was a very gifted, very deep person. The only conversation I ever had with him was after my father died, like the real conversation. And he came up and just told me, like, I really loved your father. And I think they struggled with my father being gay, but my father died of AIDS I was in 95. I was in high school. And uh, that's the only time my grandfather really had a conversation with me. It was really weird. That is weird. Yeah, that, you know, it's hard for, for those of us who haven't been through it. It's so hard to imagine the trauma of, you know, fucking Germans coming in and raping your wife and like just the... I mean, they luckily they weren't Jewish, but yeah, still they... But they saw it happen yeah, all yeah. around them. Yeah. My grandmother still, I mean, they had German friends. I remember they'd come over and play cards. They played bridge a lot. And, uh, but I, that was still a lot. She had a problem, I think, with some Germans and some, yeah. you know. Well, how could you not? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Casilda, yeah, my wife, Casilda, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but she grew up in a war and you know spent i think three months locked in her house you know all those shutters closed yeah. bullets flying around 
And still to this day, if we're out hiking in the woods or something and a helicopter like comes up over a hill right. suddenly, she'll like fall to the ground. Right. She'll right. Like, with no thought at all, right. you know. So there, yeah, it's, it's I read amazing. an article this morning and you might have posted it a while back, but I, I found it this morning on something I was looking at and talking about uh, the DNA, how you could trauma, traumatic events that your grandparents experienced. Yeah. You could have it could affect your DNA. Yeah. And your behaviors. Yeah, and certainly it, famine. They've d- demonstrated that with rats and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and extreme anxiety. Yeah, so do you think your your DNA is affected by your grandparents? I don't know. Experience? I mean, it, I, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, especially if that's what they're saying. It makes sense. I mean, it, the, I, I think that there is nature versus nurture, and I, yeah. I, I think there are environmental impacts that can yeah. affect your wiring. Um yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm probably messed up a little bit if you, if you ran me through some tests. But. <laughs> well, if you were when you were born, you are now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, is your are your grandparents both dead? At this they're point? both dead now. Yeah, my my see, grandmother died probably ten years ago. My grandfather was like twelve years ago. Hmm. So and uh, okay, so they're in in New Zealand, and they're what what did they do for money then after the, uh, the grocery mission? store? They owned a little grocery store. Oh, they bought a store yeah. in Wellington. My uh, my grandmother's sister and husband moved with them also, uh, and then they also came from New Zealand. They went to Vancouver, BC. And my grandparents went to Seattle. Uh, but um, so they all went together at yeah, the same time. Yeah. Why? Do you know what happened? I don't. Yeah. Not enough rain in New Zealand. I don't know. Them? I mean, I would have stayed in New Zealand. It's Everybody sweet down Wellington. There. Yeah. Was, I remember my grand or uh, my father talking about pulling kiwi fruit right out of the window, like because I loved kiwis, especially yeah. as a kid. <laughs> so I always remember that story. But yeah, I, I don't know yeah. why they'd leave New Zealand. I'd like to get down there. I want to go see the house my my father was born in. Yeah. Definitely. I have the address, but I don't. Although maybe New Zealand in the you know '60s wasn't so great, you know maybe it was so because it's so far away, right? right. I mean, without the cheap flights and all that. Yeah, and but, I don't know what my grandfather wanted. If he was, I, I don't know what his intent was. Um, maybe it was just to give your father a better start. Could be. You know? Are they uh, recently in the last six months? I've been going through what I I, I call my purge. Yeah, well, I watched that movie, The Purge. Have you seen that? No. Eh, it's kind of weird, but. Essentially, one night a year, everybody gets to go. It's just chaos, and you can kill one person, or you can kill multiple people. You can just kill people. So it's starting to scare me here. Yeah, I know, right? I hope it's not today. But I've been going through a personal purge where I've been going through like everything I own, every box, every bin, every drawer, every space, and just purging and going. You know what? What do I need? And trying to cut through it. But you know, you you, you start big and you get piles going, and then you chip away at those piles and you keep going down and down. But part of that catalyst for that 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 process was I got a, a trunk from my grandfather or from my uncle that my he got when my grandfather died. And it was they had two trunks. It was one of the two trunks that they came from New Zealand to the States with. But hmm. it was the three boys and uh and my grand my grandparents and they had two trunks and that's all it was. And so that just was kinda like, wow, I can I can do this, you know. I get. I've got too much stuff. If they yeah. did all this with two, two all that and two, two trunks, like what am I doing with all this stuff? Yeah. All right, so then your your grandparents came to Seattle when your dad was 10, you said. He was like 10, yeah, 9, 10 years old. And what year is that, 50s? Uh, early 60s, early it was like 60s. 64, I think. Right, right. Somewhere and in there. Now you said your, your grandfather had trouble with your dad being gay. Do you know at what point that was, I mean, was your dad ever in the closet, do you think, as a kid? He must have been. You know, point. talking to my, my uncle, the, the youngest boy, 
and that's who my dad was, the brother my dad was closest to growing up. Uh, yeah, and, and then talking to my dad, too, a little bit before he died, and then talking to... He, he had a long-term partner who I'm still... He's like my dad now. The guy I met. Yeah, yeah, yeah you met me. Yeah, cool guy. And yeah. Uh, By the way, I had no idea... When you invited me out for a beer that right. night, and I went out, and he's like, yeah, I'm here with a friend and whatever, and I'm there hanging, and we're talking, and he's really funny, and everything's right. cool. And it wasn't until like maybe 20 minutes into hanging out that I put together who this guy was, right. you know? Because we were talking about carpentry, right? Yeah. He's a carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> and then at that point, I didn't want to say like, oh, yeah, I know. Now I know who you are. Well, it was funny because I... I Thought that he'd get a kick, or you know, he, he's an interesting guy. But you're friends with Dan Savage, and just all the like that was my Dan Savage growing up, right? You know, especially when I got to a little bit later in life and, and sexuality and stuff. I had a lot of my advice came from a, a gay guy, so right. So okay, so your your dad had this long term partner um, who we met. When, right. When, when, uh, that was like well, I was. Four or five, probably. Really? That so, early? Yeah, eighties. My dad. My dad contracted AIDS. Well, my dad died ninety five of AIDS, but he contracted AIDS sometime early eighties. Um, found out he had AIDS, and then uh, and Neil, um, and the, he was together with Neil the whole time. Neil stayed with him the whole time. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, but that was like probably eighty four ish. They got together, and you're born seventy nine. Seventy nine, and your parents divorced. Yeah, my mom's been married. Oh, I think she's on probably seven now. What? Yeah, and that's just marriages. I grew up in a little bit of chaos. I should have grown up with my dad, but I couldn't because he was gay. You know, and, uh, and the courts would never they go couldn't. for that. Oh, really? So I grew up in church, uh, but in a pretty angry home, you know, with a very controlling stepfather. It was a little bit, you know, physical with us and, and such, but just kind of grew up in that and... And luckily, I had I got to go see my dad a little bit. That you was stayed about, in the same town. No, he was in yeah, Seattle Tacoma area. Oh, okay. So I'd see him. Uh, my mom would let me go up once a you know once a month, and then two weeks during the summer. She was afraid you'd catch the gay or something. Yeah, there was uh, yeah all sorts of weird stuff. I think she knew that it wasn't like that, but she was still she was just crazy. I think it was kind of a control thing more than anything. But yeah, growing up, you know, with my dad being the most positive role model in my life, and Neil for that matter, and the most stable relationship that i had to look at for for a model example um was from two gay guys and not not the church you know not saying that there was not some good relationships within the church and stuff but but you know growing up hearing from that side my dad's this terrible guy that's gonna go to hell you know what i mean And, and then and then hearing about all these horrors of hell right it just didn't make sense. Yeah, you look at the Very reality, confusing. and it's like, this doesn't fit. Yeah. No, it didn't make yeah. sense to me as a kid. Yeah. It was silly. What church was it? It was a non-denominational Christian, yeah. you know, but, but tongue-speaking. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit wild. Oh, tongue-speaking. And, I, and wait, snake handlers? Yeah, no snake handlers, but I, that tongue's deal, I don't, I don't believe in it. I think yeah. It's, it's kind of, I don't know. Well, yeah, it seems to me like, you know, one of these sort of uh, mass hallucination, mm-hmm. you know, group hypnosis things. Exactly. I think if you believe in it, maybe there's something to it, but it's not. It just always as a kid, when you're, I think you're as a child too, you're a little more in tune to that stuff. Yeah. It just always appeared to be kind of fuckery to me. Yeah. Can I say that on here? Sure. I, I, I cuss sometimes when I start talking. Say whatever the fuck yeah. you want. Yeah. 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 What's interesting, you know, you sort of got to where I was, I was thinking like how, how interesting it is that, you know, from a psychological perspective, your primary male role model, your father yeah. is gay. And 
he's in a long-term relationship with another man who you love yeah from a very young age yeah how come you're not gay man i mean right. you know that's supposed to turn you gay right, isn't exactly, it exactly according to the you know all the freudian theories and all that um but you know and here you are like uh living this very macho life fireman yeah yeah <laughs> with a very sexy <laughs> wife i must say she is very sexy thank you, thank you. uh no it's it's just sort of interesting how you know in some ways you sort of confound expectations you know and also you're anything but a, a redneck you're you know very sophisticated guy and um Although you do you do go bow hunting, I bow hunt. You've yeah. got a little a few redneck qualities yeah. to you. Yeah, I think that's manly though. I wouldn't say redneck. There can be a redneck I, I, side. I, I to think it redneck sure. and manly are pretty much the same yeah, thing. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I got to show you some true rednecks. Yeah. yeah no, sure. I do. I have a little bit of that. I grew up in the in a logging town though. I grew up with yeah. you know my family was supported by timber dollars, and so I have a. Definitely that side to me. Timber dollars? Timber dollars, yeah. <laughs> Never heard that phrase Oh, before. that was big around here, because Spotted Owl came through. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of late, I guess early 90s. And I like so the you, way you say that. The Spotted Owl came, came through. through yeah. It's like an epidemic or something. Yeah. Well, it was kind of, you know, I think that we were, we, the environmentalists, we had to find, there, there can never be good balance in anything in life, you know? Mm. It just seems like we're always just one way or another. Right. Um, but that was one my my family took a lot of hard hits with that because really? of spotted owl and they and, and truly I mean there needed to be some new logging practices but spotted owl for people who don't know is was an endangered animal that uh, was used to justify setting aside lots of uh, federal land federal yeah. lands that couldn't be logged because that nested in old growth forests right but, yeah. right but the problem with that was that and it we we were we were kind of getting off the the, the old growth like there's not too many mills that can even run old growth around here anymore. So nobody really wants to get a hold there's of There's not much growth. left. I no, mean, I mean, there's not. Lost. A lot of it's gone. There's yeah. still, there is still some. Like, um, but I don't think there's anybody wanting to get in there, and I don't, I, I'm fine with that. But um, the problem is they, they, they shut down, essentially, all logging on federal forest. And that, mm. you know, here in Oregon and in, in Washington, a lot of the tax dollars for schools come from timber money. Mm. And uh, that was a good way to fund your local school district. And I think, you know, it was just a little bit more of a community deal too you know when the the local trees in your backyard were going to your school there was that connection and so but a lot of that got taken away and the towns just got devastated here yeah and so it just i and it, like i said it wasn't bad but it, it you know what they were trying to do but um now you know and i did a lot of wildland fires too but now we've got these forests that are oversaturated with fuels and right we need to be able to go in there and get a hold of them and and you know for for a lot of reasons so yeah 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 i, I see what you mean sort of the same thing like in Pennsylvania, you know, they they killed all the predators. Yeah. And now, like, you can't drive down the highway without hitting a deer. Right, They're right, everywhere. Right. Yeah. Well, wolves are in Oregon now. You're talking about, you know, from hunting perspective. Oh, really? And, yeah, and that's going to be interesting. You look at the game numbers. I, I'm all for things being natural, but I'm also pro-man a little bit. And that's, I know Joe Oregon says that. But there is something to that of, um, you know, I think that we ought to be able to hunt wolves and be able to shoot wolves because their numbers, they, they reproduce quickly i mean they're already seeing the like in yellowstone and there's it's i know it's controversial but having gone up there and seen a lot of wolves and and such i think that there's a place for them but i also think there's a place for us not right now they're still endangered even though their numbers are high and mm -hmm. idaho you can hunt them there's 550 wolves killed in idaho just by hunters last year 
I that's saw, a lot of wolves. That's yeah. a lot of guys hunting that aren't shooting wolves too. Well, I saw in New Jersey now they've they've opened up bear season. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. About five hundred yeah. bears were killed in northern New Jersey last year. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. You don't think about black bears in New Jersey. But you wouldn't, but there you go. Doesn't spread. But those bears will get into anywhere though. Yeah. They don't care. Well. Wherever there's food, they'll get in there. Yeah, they're bears. Yeah. Um, all right, so where were we? We were talking about your dad. And, oh, and, yeah. And so, so, I mean, you and I haven't talked about this a lot. We, we'll get to the like, whole being a fireman thing and the, the interesting and sometimes traumatic aspects of that. But what was it like? Like, what was it like for you? Here you are in this town. I mean, did, you tell, did your friends know your dad was gay? A couple did. But I didn't say it a lot because there was shame you know, associated with it. And, and, and not me towards my dad. Because right. I remember, well, I figured it out when I was like fourth, fourth grade. So, I don't know, what am I, 10, 9? I was probably about 9. And what do you mean figured it out? That it, the dad and Neil weren't just roommates. Because uh-huh. when I was younger, I would sleep with my dad you know, in his room, and then Neil would sleep in another room. But, right. but it just didn't make sense. I'm like, there, you know, and so I asked my mom, and then she kind of freaked out. And, but she got my dad on the phone, and my dad came and picked me up that weekend. My mom was crying. Like, it was this big, traumatic, you know, like, mm. oh, my God, your dad, yeah, you finally figured it out. And then she's freaking out that to my dad that, see, I told you so, and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Just like, and then I went up, and my dad picked me up, and we went for a walk. And um, I just remember him saying, like, I just remember asking him, like, why are you gay? Why? And he's like, I am what I am, you know? And I'd be like, well, but why can't you just be married? What was, I am what I am was his answer, you know? And right. it kind of... You know, but after that, it just kind of clicked. Like, it, it doesn't, people are people, not, you know. So, the, so to me, it wasn't bad. And it was, it was just confusing growing up on that, hearing that he was a bad guy. And I, so, for me, it was never an issue. But I didn't talk about it a lot because there was some shame. I just didn't want, you know, if your dad's a faggot, then you're a faggot. And that's what people would say, you know. Yeah. So, and I don't mean that in a bad No, way. of course not. Not in a malicious and, When you're, um, when he was visibly sick uh, how, how early on did you know about aids and and what was going on there uh not until he went, went, went from uh hiv to aids he got sick and he spent about a week in the hospital and then i was 16 15 you know and um i was working already then i had a job at a logging company and uh i was working in the shop just after school i'd go down and grease the drive lines and sweep the shop and just stuff like that. I got to do oil changes and, and such. But because I learned from a pretty young age that, that growing up and what I was growing up in, I mean, just power would get shut off or water would get shut off. They wouldn't pay the bills. Moved around a lot. You know, just, I hated it. I hated that lifestyle. I just thought I was being around, surrounded on stupid people. And I, not that I was smart. I just, I just wanted out. I wanted something better. And so I learned pretty young, like working, if I got money, then I could pay my own shit. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I was 15. I had already had my job and and uh, was making some money and and then I remember. So I was busy. So I hadn't seen my dad. Like by then, you know, he lived in Spokane. So I'd see him, you know, two three times a year was all. Right. But talked to him pretty often, you know. And, but he was sick, and then I remember he got home from the hospital and and because uh, I was like, oh, you know, I was gonna go over and see him, and he said he'd be back home. Don't worry about it. And then he when he got back home, he told me over the phone that that he had AIDS and he had a year to live, you know, a year or less and. So I was like 15 when I found that out. And I mean, that was upset, obviously. That was, a, that was a hard thing. And then, you know, I saw him a few times during that year and just watched him, you know, slowly. He just aged very quickly. I mean, it was like aging before your eyes. That's, it's a weird virus. I mean, viruses in, in general are weird, but 
um, just watching a strong, radiant man. I mean, he was very, he was a light up the room kind of guy, you know, big, bright blue eyes, kind of like me, but he's, he had more, you know, he had life in him and, uh, just to see that go away and, and then kind of watch that progression. I was there, um, not till the very end, but up until, uh, he was, essentially he was unconscious and there was no, cause even he would kind of squeeze your hand a little bit, you know, for a couple of days there and then, and then it was beyond that. And to me, he was dead then, you know, but, uh, but he went on for a few more days with pulses and, and such. And then, and, uh, you know, then he died and it was, uh, it was April of, of 95, April 26th. So a month, he was, uh, a month before his 39th, he was 38 years old. So Are I'll we, be, uh, I'll be 35, 36 this year. Oh, so yeah. it's weird, you know, getting close to that. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's too short. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that kind of, you know, seeing, for me, that was more of a motivator that life's short, you know, and, and even more motivation to get out of the hole I was in. Right. You know, and work harder. And I just, I graduated high school and that was my hole out, you know. Freedom was right on the other side, so. Thank God you didn't get anybody pregnant. Yeah, no kidding. That was always a big fear. I tell you what, having a father dies, dies of AIDS, you learn to use protection very well. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a big impact. Right. You know, because I did okay at the ladies back in the... I can imagine. Back in the day, but yeah. I was always very responsible. Yeah. Well, I, Plus, that, I didn't want yeah, pregnant, too. Yeah, I mean, teen pregnancy, that, that's, you know, the main way that people get stuck in those situations, you know? Yeah. You just never have a chance to dig your way out because right. suddenly you're digging just to stay where you are. Exactly, keep your head above. Yeah. 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 yeah, I've got a teenage daughter, stepdaughter right now. Um, she's going to be 14 this year, but she started early. She's six foot tall already and a beautiful girl, but she's starting to you know, navigate the sexuality a little bit. And it's, uh, but I've been telling her for years, like just boys are stupid, you know, <laughs> teenage boys, our brains aren't even developed until we're minimum of 30, yeah. you know, don't even, so up until then, if, if ever, yeah, but just don't get pregnant. You can, you can make a lot of mistakes and figure some things out by learning, you know, through yeah. mistakes, but the pregnancy one's one that stays with you forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good luck with that. That's that's tough, man. Having Rogan has daughters, you know. Sometimes I think about that. Yeah, like how how interesting that must be for like a guy, especially sort of like a guy's guy. Kind yeah, of, you know what I yeah. mean. You're like you're representing for the guys right. all the time. Except there's one part of your life where you're like, fuck those guys. Yeah, stay away from those. Stay guys. away. Stay away. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. like I I think one thing about. You know, getting gay advice or, you know, sexual advice from a gay guy, too, was it's good. It just, you know, having an open mind and stuff, too. It's a, I'm able to kind of approach it with her angle, you know, with her from an angle of there's a mature way to navigate these waters. You know? Right. And uh, and what you end up deciding upon is what's best for you is OK. Yeah. Just, you know, how to do it, you know, how to. Right. How to kind of get there. And so are you the, you have the talk with her or is your wife do that? Yeah, both. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Mandy more than I do for sure, but yeah, but I get involved from here to there. <laughs> well, and, okay. So I don't this... want her to feel ashamed for it though, ever yeah. for anything, yeah. you know? Right. And that's the big thing. Cause I've dealt with shame for years, you know, and most of us do. Yeah. As you know, you're the, 
the shame exorcist. The exorcist yeah <laughs> i love that but no it's true yeah. i mean it, it it um i just don't want her to feel bad for desires and feelings that are normal natural right you know and just that she needs to discover these things in a from a responsible way yeah and she's gonna be Age appropriate under, too. Uh, she's under so much pressure already i'm sure yeah. it's just gonna get more intense if, right you know she's beautiful and tall and looks older than she is probably at this point and you know that's all sorts of creepy attention yeah. is coming her yeah. way so yeah. i just try to be with her you know as honest as i can did you, did you read that thing i i tweeted about it i don't know how long ago it was it was comparing um dutch and american parents in yeah. terms of how they deal with sexuality yeah wasn't that interesting yeah. that whole thing like in holland you just Sort of like, you know, a girl, 14, 15, 16, whatever, has her first boyfriend that she's serious about. You know, in the States, it's all like, you know, I, you know, no, no, I don't want, you know, absolute denial right, right. That, that they're going to be sexual right. at any point. In Holland, they're like, yeah, bring him over for dinner and, you know, then you guys can, you know, sleep up in your room and, you know, here's some condoms. And, right. You know. That may be a little extreme for us <laughs> over here, I think. I'm, well, I don't know if I can go to that level. But we, the first thing, when she had her first boyfriend, the first boy she kissed. Uh, but her first boyfriend, the first thing we did was call his parents, went over there and had dinner all together. Oh, really? Yeah. And when her feel bad about her, feel like it had to be a secret or, you know. Right. So, but she uh, <laughs> she dumped him like two weeks later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, no. he was getting too serious. Oh, really? Did you go have another dinner? So like, another oh, a good, dump dinner? Yeah. <laughs> good for her though, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Keep your distance, girls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, okay, so were you were you hang were you seeing your grandparents at all during this whole thing when your dad was sick and yeah know? we'd go over to Spokane they lived in Seattle and my dad was in Spokane then, oh, so right. we'd fly over together and and such and then it was just they had a problem with Neil my dad's partner and there was a bit of quite a, a falling out after his death and and then I didn't talk to Neil for a couple of years why why would they have a problem with Neil this I guy who know. sticks with your dad through I this long know. illness. I mean, they they have their reasons, but I never saw it, you know. And they, it was, it was just weird. The whole thing was really weird. It was hard. It was like I was young and yeah. just trying to process my dad dying, just trying to keep my head focused and not, you know, go through a normal teenage things too. Right. Drinking comes on and sex comes on, and, right? You know, just trying to navigate through all that. So I just kind of buried my head, but um, and stayed out. But I, yeah, I didn't talk to Neil for a couple of years, and it wasn't until my senior year of high school I contacted him. It had been yeah two years since I talked to him. And, I contacted him and and because um, they told him to stay out of my life and stuff, but I was like, "Look, I'm 18. I'm a. I miss having you in my life, mm. and I don't want to lose you." And so yeah. we've been ever since, you know. And I talk to my family still. So, you know, my, my grandparents are dead. Um, there's only two uncles. I, the, my the oldest uncle, I don't talk to very often. But I never have. And then my my dad's younger brother. Uh, we kind of had a falling out a few years back, but we've uh, last couple of years we've been talking again. See in the states as well. Yeah, he's up by by Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's close. But um, mom's side of the family, I haven't talked to my mom for probably five, four years at least. Um, just kind of, you know, brothers. I talked to. I've got two brothers, two two half brothers, two half sisters. I talked to one brother, and I've talked to my little sister a little bit, but kind of just just left, you know. Yeah, um, I think as a doll, I had to learn that you get to choose who's in your life, and yeah, I tried to help out a lot of family, and they, and they look, and I haven't been perfect to them, and they have their issues with me, but at some point, I just had to decide, especially you know, last I've been with Mandy for eight years now, and it's like I have my own family now, right? Um, one that I've chosen, I got that's why I'm gonna put my time and energy into, right? You know, 
So your daughter is from a previous marriage? Yeah, yeah. Of, her, of yours or of Mandy's? Mandy's, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah, and her dad's involved. He's a, he lives up by Seattle. And, uh, Shit, everybody coach. you know is like within 500 yeah, right? miles of here. Right. It's amazing. That's my problem. I didn't get out far <laughs> But it's, it's good. Like I, her dad and I get along really well. And so what did you say? He's a football? He's a football, high school football coach. Oh, right. And uh, teaches math, high school math. Um, but yeah, he's involved and with her family and you know his family. We all get together. And yeah, that's great. It's, it's always been okay. I always thought there should be a special word in English. I don't know if other languages have it, but a special word for the ex-partner of your current partner. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. like in my life too, well, either the ex-partner of your current partner or the partner of your ex-partner. Right. Right? Like my ex-girlfriend and her husband yeah. are like two of our best friends. Right. You know, and it's just awkward. Like, this is, you know, if I just say they're friends, cool, but that's right. not really telling you the whole story. And I'm kind of proud of the fact right. that she and I are still so close, right. you know, closer than ever in some ways. There should be a word for it, yeah. you know, and Casilda's ex-husband is a really good guy. We were in Mozambique. He took us to Kruger Park, yeah. you know, spent the whole day hanging with this guy. He's not just a friend. There's right. something really deep that we right. share there, right. you know. So yeah, I'm with you. It should be. There should be a, a name. There, there for should that. be a word. Mandy was just saying that the other day because she was talking to Gabby's dad, and she was like, "You know, it's like a brother sister relationship we have now, mm -hmm. but it's not." Well, I mean, in, in my case, it, it really is. It, strangely, I mean, not to talk too much out of school, but you know, our relationship was never particularly sexual, right? You know, and so. You know, people think, like, just because you've had sex with someone in the past, like, you're always tempted to go back there. Mm -hmm. Not, not really. The case. Yeah, that's no. not my case. Yeah, I mean, if it was amazing, right. then yeah, of course, right? right? But, but if... go back just for the sex, not the not the relationship. Right, and also, like, you know... Yeah, exactly. Could I just have the, <laughs> the, sex. the side dish? <laughs> the craziness can go somewhere yeah, else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, there should be a word. Yeah. It's been a word. Yeah, all right. So, uh, yeah, well, if we don't come up with one by the end of the podcast, right. you know, suggest it in the comments. All right. Yeah, or right. tweet it or whatever, ladies and gentlemen. We'll come up Let's with a word. Let's figure out, yeah, maybe the podcast. Uh, all right, so, so you said you, it's funny, the other day I was having breakfast in this restaurant and like outdoor tables, and there was a couple at the table next to me with a little kid who was probably four or five years old, dressed up in a complete fireman's outfit yeah. with the yeah. hat, the boots, that. everything. And he was, you know, walking around like, you know, and he would say every once in a while, Mommy, make sure you tell me if you see any fires. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then at one point he said, uh, is it illegal to dress up like a fireman? And she was like, well, no, why would it be illegal? He says, well, it's illegal to, to pretend you're a policeman in your car. Smart Like, kid. yeah, really, you got him there. Huh? Yeah. You can't impersonate Yeah, I officer. think size-wise, if you're, if you're under <laughs> if you're under two three, feet, five, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, because, like, what, what would happen if I, like, went and bought a, a fireman's uniform and was I, walking around? You can. I mean, you, yeah. We, we'll see some of the transients out wearing our clothes sometimes, my uniform <laughs> stuff. Like, how'd they get that? Well, yeah, good question. Yeah. Jackets and stuff like they steal it off a rig, or I don't, I don't know, but you'll see them out there with it sometimes. Yeah, I think you know, you can do it. <laughs> if we, if we find it, we might give you a hard time, though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, excuse me. Um, all right, so so you said as a kid, you you always wanted to be a fireman, yeah. and so then how did from working in the logging plant, yeah. how, how did you get into it? Well, just kind of by 
the universe, I guess. I didn't know how to. Um, <clears throat> I was going to go be a logger, probably faller. Or, yeah, I was going to do something logging related. Something to get yourself killed at a young yeah, age. Yeah, probably. So. I always liked a little bit of risk, though. I've always been the, probably the most cautious of my friends, but also I like a little bit of a... A little bit of adrenaline. I like a little, you know, I like to push it a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, my senior high school, they had a cadet class that opened up at the fire station. So my first two classes of the day was at the fire station. And then yeah. that just kind of got me started as a volunteer. And that led into doing some part-time stuff and eventually getting, you know, hired on and, and doing it full-time. But I did a lot of wildland firefighting, too. Probably the most fun I've had. My, my, some of my favorite fires have been wildland. Um, I was on a... <laughs> on a helicopter crew that we'd fly into fires and do a lot of initial attack stuff. And just, that was exciting. Flying in on a helicopter anywhere is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then being able to fight a fire up in the mountains. Yeah. This, this man versus nature kind of... Must be a real ball buster, though. I mean, how much weight are you carrying? Um, on You know, my wildland pack was probably... Probably 20 pounds. Oh, that's not You know, bad. but swinging a tool around and then hiking around. And But, you know, if we were up high in the... We did a lot of initial attack. Our bread and butter was lightning strikes. So typically, most of that, we were higher elevation. But we'd certainly get days where it'd be 100 degrees. That's a macho and fucking just, thing to say, you're, man. You're, you're burning through water, you know, just... Our bread and butter was lightning strikes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was, it was kind of... <laughs> it's funny. I just say it and then I think about it sometimes. Like, that is kind of... Sexy, I guess. Right? Uh, yeah, well, I like to think. You know, I was sexy. thinking on the way over here, like how to frame, you know, like how that kid and thinking about um, how there aren't a lot of occupations that little kids right. think about. Right. You know, there's like doctor, fireman, soldier, policeman. Yeah. yeah. Right. And what's interesting is that they're all, they're all like um, about following orders. They're all about teamwork. Yeah. They're all about protection yeah. of the good against the evil. Helping, yeah. You know? But of all of them, I would say the the least morally ambiguous has got to be firemen. Yeah. Right? Doctors, you got all sorts of pharmaceutical company corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, is that surgery really necessary? Or you're just doing it to get money from the insurance. Cops, we don't even need to talk about. Soldiers, holy fuck, half right. of them have no idea why right. they're killing who they're killing. So somebody make money building bombs. Exactly. Or, you know, secure a pipeline through Asia mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck it is. They, they just do it. And so the only one, you know, and everyone uses this word heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Our heroes, this, our heroes, that. But the only one that, I mean, cops, I've got a lot of respect for too. some cops. Yeah. Some cops are just dicks who want an excuse Absolutely, to have a yeah. gun. But a lot of cops are really good people who, you know, when you really need somebody, you they, want them they're there. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the least morally ambiguous of all of them seems to be firemen, because there's just, you know, you guys aren't in it for the money. No. You know, there's no question if your fucking house is on fire that you do, in fact, want to put that fire out. That's you know? what they're there for. Yeah. 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 Well, that and then we also go into it knowing that probably going to die 10 years younger than I should. Yeah. Really? Like, is that cancer statistically? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, but cancer is a real problem. That's what kind of cancer? Is all it? I mean, but there's really? yeah, there are some brain, lung, um, testicular uh, stuff that it, or just about in everything we're way higher, especially brain cancer. That's that's one of the words. Any idea it's why the, the the just after a fire? We've done a good job about wearing our respiratory protection going into it's and about, nowadays you have to. It's about exposure to, to. It's it's to, after the fire's over. It's the chemicals that when we're, up, we're overhauling a place. 
And we used to, now we're wearing packs, but that's only been in the last year. Not everybody's doing that. But um, I didn't even wear a mask doing any of that stuff until... What do you mean overhauling? Oh, after the fire's out, taking all the, you know, what's left, what's smoldering and stuff, getting into all the concealed uh, spaces, uh, all the insulation, all the carpets, and, you know, we got to get a lot of that out, get it outside. You have to haul that shit out? Yeah, we haul a lot of that out, just because you got to get to the hidden fire. They still be smoldering. Oh, I see. So, like, wood under the carpet. Yeah, it's like your campfire, man. If you want to get it out, you got to dig through every little inch of, turn it, you know, add water to it. Oh, really? Do the same thing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. How many fires have you started? <laughs> the yeah, next I, big forest fire. I'm your bread Christ, and butter. Christopher Ryan fire. <laughs> no, no. Luckily, um, I never I never had one. But God knows, I played with enough matches when yeah. I was a kid. Jeez. Luckily, I didn't. I mean, I always was good with fire. Definitely a pyro. Really? Oh yeah, I can pull water. I was, I was going to get to that. I can pull. I can pull. I can pull wood out of out of the river and get it to burn. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I, can get, I can get anything to burn. <laughs> well, why, why is that? I mean, you have some special. Well, I, you know, magical ability. Or outdoor what? stuff. You got to be able to get a fire going, and yeah. I, and I, I challenge myself to get. You know, just I don't do it with flint lock or anything like that but i mean i do carry that in my pack but typically i use it i'll cheat and use a match you, but carry, that's my, you carry a flint lock in your pack well i carry a little yeah flint you know um you know striker and stuff really you yeah you know, you know like you don't just take a lighter well i do i do but that's like the backup to all backups oh, i have I three layers of backups for my fire when i'm out <laughs> you gotta get fire going man <laughs> You have to get fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I got three layers of backup, too. I got the Duraflame log. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I got the fire starters, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, I carry one of those, too. Yeah, those are great. They are great. And Jeez, we take the work out of it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that. I, I always took pride in, like, being the guy who could get a fire yeah. going. You know, yeah. the little, the, you know, it, it's all about preparation. That's the one thing That's you learn. Key. You can't rush it. Yeah, and keep and get you know start real small. The wetter the stuff is, the small and less heat you have to start the fire with. Yeah, like especially using spark, you got to get duff. Right. You got to get duff down to a microscope. Duff, level. yeah, get your duff. Yeah, wasn't duff duff's the beer on the on Simpsons? Simpsons yeah, 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 duff beer. Um, and also altitude, right? If you're at high altitude, that's a whole different ball of wax up there. Well, for fire, yeah. Um, I mean, oxygen's thinner, but I don't. For fire behavior, altitude is not a big factor in, in the behavior of the fire. Oh, it's the heat F- that fuel, comes from fuel it. weather topography. Uh, so that's so the most critical is weather. You know, especially yeah. winds. Winds yeah. will make the impossible happen. Right. I've seen fires run downhill. Like fi- a wind event. Well, and some other weather factors, but a big wind event killed a friend of mine on a fire in 2001 and with three other people there's four people died that day and um, that's when i really started learning my weather especially with fire weather right that's when i started kind of managing crews and so he got a down there was a downdraft yeah they had um they had a red flag day really i mean they 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 were on a fire that was a smoldering fire that um, was kind of in this narrow canyon up in northeast washington and um, temperatures got up to over 100 degrees that day. Relative humidity dropped down to single digits, so really dry air. Um, and then the winds picked up, and that fire went from just a little smoldering fire to a blow-up. And they got cut off, and they, uh, there was a lot of unfortunate things that happened that day. I, I learned a lot of lessons out of that. And that's, that's one where I really started, like I said, studying my, my fire behavior hmm. um, principles and, and understanding how to apply those on the, on the field. And then also when, you know, as a, as a leader, when you're, especially in those situations when things are get chaotic, you have to take charge. Somebody has to take charge. Right. 
and nobody took charge of that one. So people kind of scattered. They had about 40 minutes to prep when the, uh, they got, the road got cut off, and they knew the fire was coming their way. There was no way out. They had a nice wide spot down along this river, um, but the winds were coming up, and, and there was no plan for what this is what we're going to do. This is our deployment zone. Let's get our shelters out. Let's get ready for the, you know, none of that really happened. And it came on, and it came on so fast, people just scattered. And so the four that died ran up to those rocks because there was no fuel up there. But the problem was the smoke was too thick. Oh, fuck. And uh, cause rocks can be a good place to go. I was taking refuge on rocks before. But what if I got grass burning around me? Not, not big, heavy timber that you can't. And so the fire shelter, they didn't get, they had inhalation burns. They just couldn't get their seal. Because the fire shelter, essentially, you kind of, it's got this, it's like aluminum tent. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to reflect radiated heat. And it does a good job of that. It doesn't take flame contact. If flames are touching it, you're done. Oh, really? Yeah. And if you can't get a seal at the bottom around the, with the ground to filter out some of that hot smoke. Oh, it's too. not a perfectly enclosed. It's just the... It's an open bottom, but you got to uh, seal it up, you know, essentially create that seal. Once, But they were on rocks, on a big rock. So you street. can't seal. Yeah, they couldn't seal. Why them. don't they make, like, you know, big sleeping bags, like bivouac tents or something? Yeah, I, I think still. I don't know. I mean, I think... On that one, it still wouldn't have saved them. I mean, they needed to be, they needed to be on solid ground, you know, right. flat ground where they could get a seal. If a, a sack type thing, maybe if you could get oxygen in there. But you got to be in those shelters. You got to get down low. You got to be on the ground. And there's people like I had a friend, or not a friend, but a guy I worked with. Uh, he had to deploy, but he was in a shelter for like almost an hour before he can get out of it. And that, but, but that was timber too, you know. Right. So. You can be in there for a while, and you're probably going to take some burns. Holy shit! Um, so you're so you this thing is like the size of a one man tent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you get in this thing, you try to seal it to the ground. So this is hoping you know if you're on uneven ground, your roots, you got like whatever mm-hmm. that's going to fuck you up because smoke yeah. gets in, right? Gets right. under the seal. So you're trying to seal it, so you're getting oxygen, you're getting airflow. Cleaner, but, cooler air. The biggest thing is cooler air. Because it's all the way yeah, down you, on the ground. A lot ground. of times those guys talk about digging a little hole for their mouth to kind of get down in. But you can't take, you know, you can't wet anything down because you get inhalation burns from steam, you know, steam. Oh, burns. the steam. Fuck, so, man. So, like, that's one thing a lot of people, like, they had a river on this one. And luckily, nobody jumped in the river. Um because a lot of times people be like, well, you just jump in a river. Right. But the problem is if you can't breathe, you got to get out of that river, and now your clothes are wet. So I always told guys, don't ever uh, think you're going to be able to jump. Unless it's like maybe on a smaller grass fire where it's, you know, it's passes quickly. In the and you can't just like float down the river. And you have to come up and breathe on the you surface. You got to breathe, yeah. But it could be too yeah. hot to breathe. You know, yeah. Oh, jeez. When you get a big fire like that, that the, the, being up close to something like that, you can't describe it. Um, just the amount of energy that's... Yeah, of this thing that's going on. Does it feel alive to you? Oh yeah, I think. Well, yes, in a sense that there's this big. It's like an earthquake or a anything that lightning. Have you ever been by lightning? When like I almost got hit by lightning on a fire, and it was like the most. I you can't describe the yeah just the the energy. But yeah, does it feel like a living thing? It does kind of take on its own life. I mean, it has like it breathes air. And you said you, know, you it's, said it's the, the phrase like fire we, behavior. Yeah, you know it's like it behaves. It behaves. Yeah, within set. It's there's a science to it. So there's parameters yeah. to it. You know, is it always predictable? If you know the conditions, can you all or does it sometimes do something like holy shit? Why did it do that? Well, it's always predictable that like run it hits a hill. It's going to run uphill faster than downhill. Right. You know. I mean, topography. There's some features that. South-facing slopes, typically, they, they receive more sunlight, so they have drier fuels. They're less dense, mm. you know. 
Um, I mean, there's some so there's some rules like that that, are, that don't change, but the big one is the weather. So um, that's you know the most difficult to, to predict is the right. weather. But so on big fires, we'll bring in a meteorologist, a fire weather meteorologist, yeah. and then we do a lot of spot weather forecasts. So that's one thing I learned out of that fatal fire was um, we take weather readings on the fire, and then at the evening time we could send those into a meteorologist and get a fire weather forecast for that fire that was usually pretty accurate especially with winds because it's got like micro weather within the exactly. fire so then they'll look at it from like a you know they'll look at the, the topography around that area and kind of and, and, and especially winds if you can give them good things hey during the, this this time of the day this is the winds we had at this elevation on this part of the fire right they can start figuring out what's affecting all that and give you a pretty detailed forecast so so that helps we'd get that as much as possible but right but um, a lot of guys get tripped up on on relative humidity drops, you know, because we can with our senses we can feel temperature, you know, an eighty degree day versus an eighty five degree day. You know that, right? The winds you can see if it's gusty, or you can, you can see the effects of the winds, right? But relative humidity, drier and, and wetter is all we know. But little changes in relative humidity, especially when you get to the critical zone, you can watch that fire go from just kind of doing its thing to to running really very quickly. Yeah. Huh. And what about like different? different types of trees i'm sure they burn differently right some oh yeah and, and you know the, the hardwoods obviously don't burn so well um they take quite a bit of heat but you know most of our forests over here are you know, on the east side pine and, and then fir on the, right. on the west side here and so they they tend to burn pretty well during the summertime um and you know there's sometimes you'll, you'll get fires that don't burn through the trees it's just burning the you know the ground layer mm. um sometimes it's a complete torch out you know we get those quite often on the east side What's that mean? I mean, it's just a nuke zone. I mean, it, it's a crown fire, so it's burning. So the crowns are burning the tops of the, of the trees, but it's also... And you've, I've seen some crown fires that were just in the tops of trees. That's usually not too common. Oh. That's more of like a, a big wind event. You right, know? so it just catches a lightning strike yeah, just, or something and just like yeah, waves through? Yeah, waves through the trees, yeah. Wow. Um, but typically what we call a crown fire is, is a complete fire from, from the forest floor all the way up to the top. Right. And... Um, do you ever see like wild animals running out? Oh yeah, there? yeah. Really? I was on a fire that we had a spot fire from a rabbit that caught on fire and ran out, and then caught another little section, on, you know, the other unit over on fire. Oh, shit. Um, but they usually do pretty good about getting out of there. Um, we don't see a lot of like, I, I, you know, I've been wanting to ask a biologist. I keep forgetting about this, but because they do have some fire bowels, especially the the forest service that'll go through and, and kind of take a look at that but i just haven't had an access to one yet but i'd like to find out how many deer and elk do die i think they they pretty much get out of the area though they're mm-hmm. instinctual and they don't they know when things aren't good for them right and um and they'll leave they'll just pack up and take off so um <laughs> pack up but this summer i was on a fire just in the gorge up up by the dows and uh that first morning i was just sitting stand down there next to 84 watching this fire and it had been a was this you know human cause down by the road by 84 but it's just that morning moving up the hillside you know as you're driving through the Columbia gorge up by the dallas those hills go up you know a couple you know a few hundred well, a thousand feet or so 1200 feet but it was still kind of down the lower third and uh was obviously going to make its way to the top and make its mm-hmm. way far you know east towards the dallas but deer were running out that whole hillside was just like animals moving all over that hillside well above I mean, there was fire down the one corner, but they right. they were packing up even further away and right. getting on down. Huh, that's crazy. Yeah, what about snakes? Yeah, we'd run into those quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Um, there's you know the rattlesnakes on the east side. Yeah. But um, you know there was areas that were pretty heavy with that, and then bears. 
Like you would, that's I saw him probably any out of all the wild animals. The bears seemed to come back through. Like after a fire, be gone because they'd come around looking for our food. That's why it was always a big deal not to leave your food out behind. Sometimes yeah. crews would get sloppy and just leave food laying around from their lunches, you know. And so the bears would be kind even as crews were mopping up, you'd see bears come through a fire sometimes. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're scavengers. They'll just come through. And so then sometimes guys would feed them, too. We'd, we'd see that every once in a while. Yeah. Not, not a good idea. So what, what, uh, what makes, a, you, you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, something was one of your favorite fires. What makes, like, what would make a fire one of your favorites? Oh, yeah. I, there's, I think you just go on, I mean, anytime we're on a fire is a good time for us. You never wish it upon somebody, but. You're talking about forest fires. Forest fires or, wild, you know, wildland or structure, but. Really? But anytime you're on a fire is good. Why is it good? The excitement, you're yeah. useful. Well, like I said, I'd never wish for somebody's home to burn down, but sure. they're going to burn down. I just want to be there. Right? you're a sick fuck so okay you're a lieutenant right yeah all right i this is how like not macho i am i don't know the difference between a fucking lieutenant and a captain and a corporal well it depends or, on the department but statistic you know you know standard is that we have firefighters your entry you know you have entry level firefighter kind of a senior firefighter and then um a lot of times and you know most departments a driver will be kind of a promotion you little drive for a while. That's usually a little more senior guys. We do it a little bit different here. Um, How often do, do drivers wreck the the truck? It depends on where you're at. On seems I mean some departments. It's getting a lot better last because you're know, running red years. lights. I mean it's loud as hell, but people probably still don't hear. Oh it, yeah, right? but we kind of keep that in mind. I mean, and that's that's one thing. Not very often to answer your question. Mm. It's not as often as you would think, and I think it's better than it used to be. Mm. I don't know what the numbers show, but we're, we're definitely much more cautious now. About right. You can't be killing somebody on the way to the fire. Yeah, yeah it kind of defeats the you purpose, know. doesn't it? Um, and we go on a lot of medical calls, and, and, and we're running a lot. You yeah. Know? But uh, we kind of use it. We're not like red lights. We stop. You know, we'll come to just about a complete stop. But we clear the intersections pretty well. And you'll still get – we're always planning for somebody to come through not paying attention. You right. know? So you kind of keep that in your plan a little right. bit. Right. So what, what percentage of the calls that you get here in Portland are for actual fire as opposed to... It's pretty standard across the country that about 80, 85% what we do is medical. Right. And, and, and of those, I mean, there's everything from, you know, the critical, somebody's not breathing, you know, cardiac <clears throat> arrest type medical stuff to difficulty breathing, abdominal pain. I mean, just the whole gamut, you know. Right. So we run from the, the one that doesn't need 911. We run on them too, quite a few of those, but we also run on the... And and then trauma too. I mean, gunshots and uh, people falling and people everything car wrecks. I mean, we we, yeah. we see we see everything. So we go everything from the the minor cut on the hand to the the full blown. So why if I cut my hand in the kitchen and I call nine one one, why are they sending a fire truck? We're, well, there's more fire stations than ambulances because you have to have a certain amount of fire stations and you know t- mm. response time especially in a fire that's our big thing is like we have to be there nowadays with all the the stuff that's burning in homes all the the plastics that's in everything like our fires are getting quicker really they're, they're, you know larger very 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 much faster oh, i thought it was the opposite no no they're they're growing that so we got to be there within like five minutes so what we have in a fire you have what kills most firefighters that's good in i'll a, just turn it what kills most firefighters in a fire is flashover and flashovers when everything in the room gets to its ignition temperature and everything ignites at once. 
So you're walking you. through a room, there's a fire like on the floor or low down or something, yeah. and suddenly, boom, everything yeah. just yep, goes up. exactly. And that can be, we're getting low temperature flashovers nowadays. Our gear, one of the problems with the safety stuff is that our gear has like gotten really safe, almost too safe because we can't feel the heat sometimes. And so guys will get into a room, not realize how hot it is and get caught in a flashover. So um, what kind of temperatures are we talking about? When it flashes, yeah. you're going to be dealing with 1,000 to 1,500 degrees. So it, that stuff, your gear's not, you're going to burn. Mo- it kills most guys. Fuck. You're going to burn. Yeah, you've got in our gear about five seconds, they say, in a flashover. But you're, like, your face isn't covered. Your hands aren't. Well, we have oh, you've ma- got gloves. Yeah, we got our masks. you got a mask. The mask, though, they'll, those will melt, and then you're done, too. Yeah. A lot of times those will break. So you, the key is to not get caught in that. But what I'm, the thing is nowadays we're just finding like our response times are critical because they're, 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 these rooms are starting to flash about the time we're arriving. So you don't have a sensor built into your, your equipment that will start beeping when it we gets do, to 800 or 850? We do, but it's not. It's funny. Like all the safety stuff they do, some of the stuff I'm like, well, why don't we just have sensors? Like tell me. We've got this heads-up display that in my mask that shows me where my my oxygen levels at which right. is kind of good but i i've always just made a point of looking at my gauge and you know air monitoring that's called because you got to be you know figure out how to get out of the place too especially bigger buildings you, you know we've got 45 minute bottles but when we're breathing and working hard they yeah. can be done in about sometimes you know 10 minutes is all you got it's like scuba diving so if it takes you a few minutes to get into the fire yeah you got to be have you know you need, you need you to have need a little reserve out. of getting out and plus yeah. you know it's not uncommon for guys to get a little disoriented and right Takes a little longer to get out sometimes than in. And shit falls and blocks your passage. Things happen. Shit yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a forty-five minute bottle if you're breathing normally. Yeah. If you're sitting here talking like we are, we we take it's about forty-five minutes. So it's like a fifteen-minute bottle, really. Yeah. Yeah. Or less. And you can't take two because it's just too heavy. Too heavy. Yeah. You got to come out for a bottle swap, which you need to come out anyways, because our gear is all like I said too. It's also really good. You know, so good at protecting us from heat, but it keeps our heat inside. They say our core temperatures are getting up. Um, like one nine, one oh seven, one oh nine. Um, that's not good for you. No. So you got to get out and get you get ventilated a little bit too. Yeah. You get some heat out. I've only once had a heat exhaustion where I really got scared. Well, I, I thought I was gonna pass out, and it was like a hundred and we don't get many hundred degree days here in Portland. But I was going through training, and we were on the truck. There's engines and trucks, and I was on the truck. It was a ladder truck, and uh, we had a big. It ended up being like a five alarm apartment fire, but we had to put the stick up to get the you know get the nozzle up there, and the nozzle got in the old stuff. Now the stuff, everything we got mostly has controls on it. We can control the nozzle from down below, but then and still in a lot of our old trucks we have ropes, and you just so you have to get the ropes. So the rope got tangled up, so I went up to the top of the stick, got it entangled, came back down. I had all my gear on because we we're getting ready to go inside. So went up, came back down, and then went inside, and then we were in there pulling ceiling, and it was just like, it hit me. Like, they just kind of walked me out and got my stuff off. But, like, really, I couldn't think, like, the first time where it just took over. Yeah. Again, it like scuba diving. It's like nitrogen narcosis, right? Your brain shuts down, and you forget to even look at your oxygen or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can get in trouble just that, by that disorient, you know, get disoriented, run out of air. Do you also, guys, is there like a buddy system in firefighting? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the key. You know, you never yeah, you never, never venture off. But um, I mean, you can a little bit voice, visual, touch. You know, sometimes it's if it's real dark, then it's I want and and, and as I've always been on an engine crew. I just recently transferred over the truck, 
and uh, engines we take line engines engines all their engine carries the hose and the water and uh, I've just always liked being on the hose you know and so uh, it <clears throat> an opening came up on the truck and it just made sense for me to transport the truck so now I'm on a ladder truck and and truckies go in without a hose line so um, you know that, that you know for an engine company it's always key to keep track of that hose line so even if conditions get worse if you know things start getting and there's times you have zero visibility you know but if it's getting hot and you can't see the fire and you're not making progress with that line, then you got to get out. And so you can follow that hose line out. Right. And so the key with an engine is, is stay, you know, stay, always stay. If it's that, that dark and that, that, you know, approaching, that's getting critical. You're getting to that critical event starting up and uh, you need to be in touch with somebody. So, yeah, but they guys get separated for sure. Especially kids, we got to break out and search a room. You know, you can't stay in touch when I got to search the other side of the room. And that's what the truck company I go on now without. You're searching the room for people. Mm -hmm. So that's what the truckies do. So now I go in on fire. Um, My primary thing is to search a room. That's the first and foremost of the truck. I mean, and every firefighter searches, but everything for us is to get that. It's all about getting that first line in on the fire. And so everything else is a support function. So that I can go on, the truckies are going to search so the engine crew doesn't have to worry about the search. They can get in and get that line to the fire. You got to get that first line in. Every, Are you trying to attack the base of the you fire? Get the fire room. Yeah, you got to get. And sometimes it's multiple rooms at that point. But, right. But yeah, you got to get to the seat of the fire. And what what percentage of house fires would you say is from the kitchen? Uh, I don't know what the statistics are. It's the highest. The most yeah. fires are, are started in the kitchen. Right. Um, yeah, you got all that electrical equipment in there and cooking. And a lot of people don't keep a clean kitchen. And, right. Um, a lot of people don't cook anymore, though, too. So, <laughs> well, it surprises me what you were saying about um, you know uh, lower flash points and and that the fires are moving faster in houses. I thought you know all this uh, material science and all this that you know you hear about how you know they've eliminated the flammable yeah. pajamas right. and then the fake Christmas trees are some new material. Right. I, I figured that they were eliminating that. Yeah, problem. fire numbers have gone down because of that. Um, but that's also one of the big causes of our cancers too. Is a lot of these, All these flame retardants. It's not materials. good for it. It's in, it's in the just your normal environment now too. Yeah. They just had a documentary. Maybe it was it wasn't Frontline or uh, maybe it was on HBO. Even uh, somebody just had a documentary recently about the fire retardants and the general public. What that's doing to them. Yeah. Um, so they're not good. So yeah, the the actually the old furniture that was built out of cotton and wood, solid pieces of wood, not laminated glue stuff. Um, it would take about 30 minutes for a room to flash over. So you could have a fire going for about 25 to 30 minutes before that room flashed over. Now we're seeing it a lot of times before we pull up. It's much more dangerous for people in their homes. I tell my friends sleep with their bedroom door closed. You need to have lots of smoke alarms in your room, in your house, in, in each room, outside of each room, at least in the hallway, and sleep with your doors closed. Why? How's that help? Door control is a big thing for us. Um, Especially like on a truck crew. Because of airflow? Yeah, you're controlling the flow path of that fire. Plus, um, you're just keeping the smoke up. Wherever, wherever you have an opening, that's, the fire's going to go there. So a door closed, you know, and especially at night, you need to have all, buy all the time you can. So by having things compartmentalized and having smoke alarms up, you know, you'll get an earlier activation. Your door will be closed. So you're compartmentalized for a while. So it get, buys you a little more time to get out. You don't be waking up to your your room full of smoke too because the kitchen's on fire right you know you want to hear the alarm and still have yeah, a clear and room you'll have some smoking room but you've got a, a door and doors are huge like that's i've been in a fire where 
it saved us from getting significant burns just by controlling that door. We were out in the hallway. That wasn't too long ago, actually. I had a couple guys get burned on that fire. And, uh, yeah, we went in to go do a search, and we, we were trying to get back in. Window popped, and, and it was a, then a wind-driven fire, so we were just kind of... Essentially, the hallway turned into a chimney, and that's where we... And you had to get down that hallway. Well, we couldn't. We made, a, we made two pushes for it, but we couldn't. Because we had a report of a baby and babysitter trapped inside that the front room right. it was a four-story apartment or a three-story apartment building and they were up on the third floor but it was kind of almost a fourth floor from the ground level and and there was there was two bedrooms and door control that you could see at the, the the bedroom on the left side the door was open because that room was full of smoke and it was getting like if we we're going to make a, a rescue in that room we had about probably a minute or less to get in there and do it otherwise it was going to be over but the door the because of a flash yeah, because it was getting yeah getting close to flashing, and right. then that's just not a that that amount of smoke. You know, nowadays when you see fires too, it's just that big black. It looks like a fuel truck burning. You know, and it yeah. used to not be so much like that, but um, that's just toxic smoke. It's just not tenable. That's not a tenable room. And so, but the room on the right side, the Ten- door was sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Not tenable, meaning anyone who's in there is already dead. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I mean, we'll pull them out, and and sometimes they'll they'll live, but a lot of times by then. There's brain damage, and there's you know, mm. um, so yeah, the uh, the room on the right, the door was closed because there, there, I mean, there's some smoke in there, but that's still a survivable room. So we were trying to get down to that one. We didn't have a ladder long enough to get to that room. Otherwise, we'd have gone through that window. But because the, the truck was coming from downtown, I was on an engine, and our truck wasn't there yet. So mm. that's why you got to have trucks too. So now I got on truck. If we pulled up on that fire, I'd throw a ladder, go through that window search and to bring people down the ladder did you find the baby because we couldn't get down that no they're out they're on the back side of the apartment (laughs) (laughs) shit yeah but i mean we have multiple neighbors saying hey they're up there so that's what we do man that must kill you when you go to all that and then it turns out like oh no well she only comes on tuesdays well yeah but that's it's part of the job i mean we search every room anyways even if everybody says they're out i mean if, if if there's no you know if there's nobody out there meeting us saying everybody's out then we act as if we have a known you know victim in there what about pets yeah we resuscitate a lot of pets really yeah we got and if somebody form. says my dog's up there will you like actually oh, yeah. go in looking for a dog oh, yeah. seriously yeah. yeah you won't just say i mean fuck. we're gonna go search the room anyway so anything we come across yeah we'll pull Including um, roasted dog. Huh? Yeah, I had a pig one time. My first animal save. <laughs> really, it was a pot pig? belly pig, and I found it. And this was up at a. I worked at a different department, and up, you know, where well, where I grew up, and uh, it was busy. Especially this is like late '90s, early 2000s, and we. If you went a month without a big ripping first in fire, it was a slow time, and uh, so we. Yeah, we got a lot of fires up there, but that's a. Uh, that was some good days. But the, the, we had this fire that I remember pulling up, and this place is blown fire. There was only, like, one. That, it started on the main floor. There was an upstairs room that had some smoke, but it wasn't quite there yet. And uh, so I went around the backside, and, and that's when, back then, we'd go in by ourselves with the nozzle. And, and we were understaffed up there, long response time, so you got bigger fires. You, right. you, just, didn't, you just had to do what you had to do, you know. Um, but nobody was there, you know, outside. So we had to assume that we had to go and do a search. So I do, you know, a lot of times you were doing a one man pulling line through a, through a building searching and, you know, attacking fire. It's not the most efficient, but you know, young and you, that's, that's what we did. But I found a, a pot belly pig and I could hear it. Like you could hear it outside. And then, so I ended up finding it by sound. I got up to that room and got the fire knocked down the main floor and got upstairs and 
and grab the pig and and just all by sound, you know, just because it was squealing so loud. But the, aren't the animals like hard to catch? They're, yeah, they're panicked. They're yeah. freaking out. Yeah, well, that one I kind of got backed in. I found it in the hallway and then kind of backed into a corner. And, oh. Um, but I think you know animals are pretty instinctual too. They do you think to, they know you're going to help them? I think sometimes they do. I mean, I've had dogs that are normally attack dogs that that haven't attacked. You know, even on when we go on medical calls, there'll be dogs that. And we get pretty good about being able to deal with animals too. Right. Well, we're like a jack of all trades, you know. Yeah. We're, we're part psychologist, part you know dog yeah. whisperer, part you know everything. You <laughs> Architect, know? Yeah, yeah, plumber, electrician, yeah. you know all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you go on medical calls and and dogs, people they they kind of know we're there to do help. I think there's only been a couple times we had to remove the dog. Hmm. Like forcibly, yeah, yeah. Like get him into another room and shut the door. Right. That's only happened. I can only think of once. It's amazing that they can sense that because there's a lot to freak them out. Right. Mm-hmm. There are all these strangers with all this equipment, mm-hmm. and lots of noises and smells. We're, tuck- and- we're touching their property. Their, yeah. Their owner. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but they kind of know. They're instinctual. Yeah. Oh, we're going to take a break because I have to go. Uh, yeah. Pull pull my own hose. If mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. All right. Fires out. <laughs> he pulled his hose. I was telling him that um, the, the first the first date I ever went on Mandy with, I met her daughter, which broke all her rules. We went out for a lunch date. By the way, interesting that you said the first date I ever went on Mandy with. <laughs> you had a little prepositional confusion hey, there. Wordplay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I met Gabby. Gabby's like five and a half at the time, but she asked how big my hose was when she found out I was a firefighter. Ah, uh, precocious I little. I told her, ask her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Bold. Yeah. yeah. Three alarm fire. Um, is it true that uh, women are into firemen? Oh, I think that there's some, some, you know, but I think it's a, it's weird because we've kind of lost in our society, I feel, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who agree that we've kind of lost the ability to be sometimes a little bit of macho or a little bit. Mm. or that, that 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 is okay you know it's okay for women to like firemen and, and and such and you know now we have women in the fire service and we've got some really kick-ass women that work for us and stuff too but you know so there's kind of this like you're not it's kind of weird sometimes you're not supposed to be a fireman anymore we're all firefighters fire all, person yeah. yeah you know it's got they've kind of so but yeah i think to answer your question i mean we're gabby's friends when they were younger even you know kindergarten age like Oh, he's a fireman, you know, like yeah. So I think there is something there, and I don't know what it is, but oh, well, I think it probably goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. It's like there's something unambiguously good about being a fireman, right? You know, you're, there's just no angle where you're, you know, I've I don't think I've ever heard a story about like a fireman who's whatever abusing his position i'm sure it happens oh yeah definitely i mean i've heard about firemen starting fires yeah you hear about that a lot you know that that they then go and heroically put out no we still like anything we have our you know statistically there's a number of people that are going to be causing problems but it's it doesn't seem like something that would be attractive to psychopaths no i think that you gotta probably not i mean you'd have to be it's pretty tough to get on it's pretty tough to go through you know, to, you have to learn how to play on a team well with people. Right, and right. I don't know if that would, for us, I think that kind of person would get filtered out in training. Right. You know. So you talked about being on a team. 
that when I was hanging out with you and your crew that day, that was something that really struck me was how how unusual that sort of environment is in the mm-hmm. modern world. You know, right. I mean, you know, and you mentioned there there are women in the in on on the force. Do you even call it the force? I don't know. Uh, operation side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ops. But it seemed like a pretty testosterone driven atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of like. Uh, sort of affectionate, uh, right. you know. How'd I introduce you as a uh, sex expert or something? Yeah, uh, uh, but specializing in homoeroticism. That's what I. What <laughs> was, I was that it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or bestiality? Yeah, yeah. And I told him that uh, that you'd have enough material in fifteen minutes to get <laughs> all your research done. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, they, yeah there is a. It, for us, it's just our normal life anymore. I mean, we yeah. recognize that it is different than the most people, and that's why I like bringing people in the station to see that. Like, right? Um, but there has been kind of a that's interesting. You say that you did feel, you know, there was kind of that um, like community. Yeah, you know, and and also, I mean, you know, there's a there's a form of bonding going on there because not only are you guys all joined by this common interest, common training, common experiences, mm-hmm. and a lot, but you're you know you're any day any one of you could end up dead dead yeah so it's it, and you can go from just eating dinner or sleeping to all of a sudden it's on it's you on know? you never know when it's so happening those people yeah. and soldiers talk about that too yeah you know? and there is something a relationship that's developed when you're in those situations that a lifelong one you know and some of my relationships i've developed with people fighting fires with and especially on the wildland side i mean those are relationships i'll keep till i die right and uh yeah, I mean, you remember. You, uh, I've had some close calls at fires, and there's, um, you know, I've had a lot of just fires and just, you know, a normal fire. That Yeah, there's definitely a danger element in this and that, but nothing got to yeah. you. But I've had some well, close you're, calls. You're dependent on each other in such a deep level. Right. Like, if, if somebody fucks up, it, it could totally, really hurt. Somebody starts popping the wrong windows at the wrong time, and, the, you know, room flashes behind the hose team. And Right. I mean, there is a lot of that. You know, as an engine company, you're, you're relying on the truck crew to get, you know, the ventilation going or get up on, if we got to get up and vent the roof, you know, get up and get that hole going so you can get in the room with your line. I mean, there's just a lot of coordination that has to happen. It has to happen very quickly without a lot of communication. Right. In this chaotic kind of you know yeah. event that could kill you so there there's a respect <laughs> that you feel you for those to, guys yeah. Yeah. yeah fuck i i mean i envy you that honestly yeah. i think that that's such a deep you know there are so few jobs that people have that are authentically meaningful yeah you know like we we apply a lot of meaning you know we find meaning you know right. like oh i'm you know i'm putting my kids through college i'm you know right. whatever i you know i what i do with the money is meaningful and therefore some of that meaning comes back to this bullshit job i have but so few jobs are actually authentically like intrinsically meaningful yeah you know and not only the fact that you're you know helping people saving property saving lives and all that like even even out in the forest right mm-hmm. where there's nobody to be saved right just the the activity itself and the way you're integrating with the other people you're working with mm-hmm. that's fucking intense man yeah. it's really a lot of guys have cool. trouble leaving the job for that reason right it's not it's, it's it's a job it's a good job so there's a price to pay for it you know i've had a shoulder operated on already a couple back strains and you know just it's 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 tough on it beats you up yeah the big thing for us is uh you know lack of sleep we're we're sleep deprived and i feel like a zombie a lot of days i'm at a busy company so we're up a lot 
you know, the, on the engine, you're up two, three, four times a night, you know, so you're just constantly getting yeah. that broken sleep. And then we don't get recovery time from that event. We work a 24 on 48 off schedule. So we turn right back around and do it again. You know, right. It's not the event that hurts. It's it's recovery time. And your body needs yeah. three to four days from an event to recover. And we don't I wonder that. if that's related to any of this sort of, um, you know, cancers or any of this. I think stuff. it is. How yeah. could it not be? I mean, yeah. it definitely the, 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 the chemicals that we've been inhaling and we, and yeah, and, and going in and overhauling without air pack is, uh, your gay dog just gay walked dog, in yeah. with a big blanket over his back. He, does uh, he often walk around wearing a robe? He does. Well, he's, he likes to, on the couch, he likes to be covered in the blanket. He'll cover himself. In the I, oh, I want to get his picture. He's leaving. Coop, come here. What are you doing? Are you taking a nap? I like to take pictures during the podcast so people can actually know, like, that's... Yeah, you know, that's, I like to look at real time. I like to look at the pictures just to see the you know a picture of what you yeah the who, voice you're listening yeah to, you exactly know? exactly. Um, so we're talking about uh, you're talking about how it was hard for for guys to leave the job because of that intensity and the the community and all that. But I imagine it's also a hard job to stay in because yeah. of the, some of the it's hard on your body. Just, well, the body, but let, let's talk about the PTSD kind of stuff. And, you know, because you see, you know, every every job's not a heroic uh, no, success, right? No, no, we see a lot of trauma. We see a lot of, you know, I've been with people through their dying process from talking like you and I, not having a conversation like this, you and I, but but from talking back and forth normally to them dying. Um, How many people do you think you've watched die? With? I mean, I've seen a lot of dead people too where they're already gone but there's there's i've seen people that were textbook dead that we also said they're not dead you can there's a spiritual element that i think we don't talk about it a lot i think we all recognize it for the most part um but yeah there is there is a a a sense of there's definitely a spiritual uh, uh existence or reality that 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 happens through that dying process and i've seen it and been involved with it but um uh, yeah, I think that we do probably come away. I don't know if PTSD is the right word. I've been because I know what messes us up. Some of the trauma, some of the events that we're put into, um, some of the close calls. You know, that can kind of mess with guys' minds a little bit, especially as you start getting kids and getting a little bit older and appreciating right. life. And, you know, and have a little respect for it, and then getting in some situations that um, can kind of you know it'll, it'll jar that a little bit. But I don't know if PTSD is the right. Because I think the guys coming back from the war, they're killing people. And like that's that's a whole nother level. If we're gonna call it PTSD, I want to separate it. Yeah. Not saying that yeah. we can't have some of that, but that's like a whole. To me, that's like the take care of those guys first because they're really that's the ones that need the help. But, yeah. But um, I think for us, it's just more of a we just get kind of dampened or it, it's uh, I don't know, man. We just uh, desensitized would be probably the best way to explain it. Yeah, I was talking with Cassie uh, earlier, uh, and, and that was the word she kept using. We were talking like I was going to have this conversation with you, and I was talking about the similarities between yeah. some of her experience and you know and uh, what you do. And she was telling me a story about. She said twice in her life she's um, hooked up a catheter to herself to do an infusion into somebody that she yeah. was with. Because uh, she has um, O positive mm-hmm. blood, right? Yeah, and uh, and she was telling me the story about this woman that she had been um, attacked with a machete and was uh, 
bleeding out from her femoral artery and yeah. she she clipped the artery but it wasn't a good yeah. clip and it was still leaking and she like hooked up a catheter to herself and then to this woman and they were in the ambulance trying to get to the hospital and she knew if she got her to the hospital she'd survive and she was 30 you know young woman and yeah. beautiful and she was a shaman she was a healer a traditional healer and and then this was like 20, 20 years ago and Cassie started crying telling yeah. the story because yeah. she died five right. minutes outside of the hospital, you know, and she's, you know, I don't know how many people she's seen die, but some of them just stick. Yeah. You know, there's some events in re- that you, you just don't ever forget, you know, and, and um, you know, some of the fires, some of the fatal fires I've had, you know, with kids, um, just some of the close calls I've had, just some of the, even just some of the life saves though, and being a part of, you know, coming in on somebody's crazy day and, you know, when their loved one's dead and be able to revive them and, and especially the ones that get to come back home and live a, a normal life. Like, um, you just remember some of those stories, you know, but we have what we call career calls, you know, career fires, career, there's some career stuff like, you know, you just some of the trauma you see though. There's just something. What's, to, what's that mean? Career call. Just that by the end of your career, you're gonna remember that call. Oh, you know? it's like you know, always, just one you don't forget. Right, you know? right. Um, you and have, you, do you have any of those you you want to share? Oh yeah, I mean, I, like we've had everything. You know, last in the last year, a couple of the ones I've been on, we had a good fire downtown. Uh, uh, the one of our first high rise fires in 20 years. Then we had. A, Big, a lot of fire on the roof of this building, you know, a 16-story building. So we gone up, and my crew got to take, uh, go up to the fire escape with the two and a half. We got the first line on it and got it knocked down. Um, that was one just, we don't get those all the time. It was just fun to be able to go up, go up the exterior, you know, be on that ladder that's shaking because you're going up over the crest of the of the roof. Right. And you're, you know, you're almost 200 feet in the air. You're and that's fucking it. exhausted. And, and these ladders, this ladder's built in the 20s, you know, you're, it's... <laughs> And you got a lot of weight on you. Got you're a lot pulling of weight. the you hose. Got you got a few guys. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you got to be so exhausted you're going upstairs. Exhausted. You're completely exhausted. Yeah, with all that gear on and taking the hose and everything going up 16 floors. That's like tired. fucking climbing a mountain. But man. we got it up there. We got the, the first line on that fire, and we got it knocked down. And that, I mean, that was just, it was fun. Like yeah. That was a that was great a, sense of accomplishment. Yeah, being able to be the, the, the crew that was a, got up there. and I mean, that's sexy to me. Right. That's old school firefighting tactics too right we just don't get employed a lot anymore right um but so there's that but then we've also had you know a couple jumpers recently that we've had um what's a jumper no they jump off buildings bridges suicide Suicide. oh okay not because of a fire yeah no suicide yeah you guys get called out on those yeah yeah we do those you know because a lot of times we recover um but just some of the events, like there was one at Christmas time, and I just remember you know, this guy had jumped off a twelve-story parking garage in downtown Portland, and uh, it was right, you know, Christmas shopping season. Just, just a lot of bystanders, you know. I was just like, just that. Just remember getting out of the rig, and then you just feel this energy, you know. It just it, it impacted a lot of people, and you know. So you get into some of those situations, and yeah, and I think just talking to people sometimes and. You know, and in those situations, and then just sometimes having conversations with people, like, you know, you're on a path here that sometimes we got to be kind of the voice of reason, like, you know what I mean? You know, and some of those stick out of having some conversations with people. You're talking to like someone who's had a bad car accident, or they're or just doing sometimes people dumb. that need to they need a little motivation to get up off the couch and take care of themselves a little bit, you know? 
So who, they get stuck in these things. We've gotten a lot of medical calls where people are. Oh, I see. On a medical call. Yeah, right, right. Some stuff like that. But, you know, have some of those conversations stick in your mind in some of, some of the, you know, environments you see kids living in and people living in. Like, oh, my God. It's disgusting. Like, that kind of stuff sticks with you. Yeah. A lot of kids. You know, the kids are typically the stuff that sticks with you. Do you guys get any sort of, I mean, you're talking about how, like, being the voice of reason. And it, it occurs to me that, you've got a sort of a special authority as a, a firefighter because of what we were saying earlier, how your motivations are unquestioned. Right. You know, and it's really, you know, I, I spend a lot of time like bitching about all the sort of corruption of institutions mm-hmm. and so on. It might be the only institution I can think of that's still standing. I like to think that we do a pretty good job. I'm with you on a lot of government stuff. I get frustrated with bureaucracy and, and I yeah. understand that there's a need for, some structure and I get all that, but I feel like we're kind of us and the police and we're just still kind of that we're ultimately there to do serve you. It's a public servant role. You know, I think that all government should kind of be a looked at as a public servant. Like you're, you're yeah. when you're, when your tax dollars come or when my salary comes from the tax dollars, I feel like I have a duty to be a servant to those people and, and be accountable for that and to give them a good level, you know, the best level of service they they can get yeah i mean unfortunately what we're seeing with the police is you know they might serve white people you know uh but when it comes to black people and poor people and you know american indians and so on and so forth the service sort of varies a lot right Right. but you never hear about like firemen pulling up to a house and saying oh black people live there fuck it let's you know go to lunch right yeah i mean i don't is that happening with the police you think here. Oh man, have you been watching the news in the last well, couple of weeks? <laughs> the I news mean, makes my head hurt. Yeah, well, there's this, too scary. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff recently, and you know, just because it's on the news doesn't mean it's happening more. Right. But you know, black men are 21 times yeah. more likely to be killed by a policeman right. than white men, right. and they're not doing 21 times as much crime. Right. So yeah, there's definitely something going on, and. And also the militarization of the police force. Yeah, that bothers me, too. Hey, what I think, the fuck, man? Well, you there's definitely... I mean, remember rifles? that shootout, though? The, the bank robbery down in West Hollywood. What was that shootout called? Where they, it was the first one the LAPD... You know, the guys had bulletproof vests, and they were all right. high in meth, and it was like hundreds of shots were fired. And yeah. It was just big, long, drawn-out deal. But, so there's definitely time you want the cops to have the, the big guns, but it yeah. is, there is kind of this... Uh, it is scary to see sometimes this trend, but... I don't know. Fucking SWAT teams yeah. being called out, for, you know, for, for some, everything. Yeah, now. yeah. We had one recently that um, the police here. I, I've, I mean, for sure they've got their wing nuts and they've got their guys that just like any agency does. But yeah. I was on one recently with them where the guy, you know, bar- essentially barricaded himself in the apartment. We were there to check on his girlfriend because he, you know, beat her up a little bit, but. He's barricaded in there, and they had, they had to get in there and get him, you know. And they they tried work when they brought him a, a mental health team to come work, all this stuff, and they ended up busting the door down, sending the dog in, and got him out, you know. And I was just impressed that this guy was crazy, and this guy deserved getting the dog on him, everything, you know. If if you were if he was your next door neighbor, you'd be scared to death, of the, you know. And this guy was out of control, but they never took away the guy's dignity, even though you know what I mean. I, I and I really I I I thought that was. I just was really impressed by that. Right. That even though the guy was completely out of line, right. you know, F you to them and just spitting and everything, they never took away his dignity. Mm. And uh, that's, uh, 
I was impressed. Well, that's good. Kudos to them. That's good when that happens, definitely. Um, but I definitely think that, I mean, the police, they have a hard job, though, too. They really do. Well, I think so much, I, I, I don't have any uh, statistics to back this up, but it, it seems to me very logical that a lot of the people who are getting into the police force in the last 10 years are returning vets. Yeah. Right? They're coming back. They've got the military training. Yeah. They've got arms training. Uh it's a natural progression for them, and there are no yeah. fucking jobs, yeah. right? For yeah. for a guy with you know a high school degree, right. uh, four years in the military. Well, what are you going to do for a living? Pack groceries, or you know, join the police. Join the police, but then they've got this attitude of us versus them that right. they picked up in Iraq or Afghanistan, yeah. and and you know, so and it's perfectly natural. I'm not blaming anybody, but you know, you take that mindset and you you walk into the police force with that, well, then the people you're serving right. are your fucking enemies. Yep. Right? And there is a lot of that. I mean, like, I remember being friends with a trooper that one time I, I called him, you know, he's working, and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just writing tickets to bad guys. Right. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Bad, bad guys? Yeah. What do you mean, bad guys? Well, speeders aren't bad, you know. Like, yeah. They're not, you know, they're speeding. They're maybe breaking the law or breaking the rule, but that doesn't mean they're a bad guy. Yeah. Well, every time you click I agree on a software update, you're breaking the fucking law, man. You didn't read that. Right. Right. You right. know, it's like we're all breaking laws all the time. Right. Including right. the fucking cops who never go the speed limit. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, there's, there's a deeper level, but I think sometimes, too, with some of the PC stuff of the fact that we can't talk about racism... There's definitely some racism going on, yeah. You know, and there's some inequities, and I get that. But we got to get to the, we got to be able to have a real honest conversation about it to get to the bottom of it. And yeah. we can't have that. That doesn't. Where is that happening? Well, I agree with you. And one of the reasons we can't have it is because we're not allowed to use the fucking words. We're right. not allowed to even right. raise the subject because that's seen as Offensive. evidence of racism. Yeah. Exactly. It's like this country is so fucking strange, man. You know, even with the cops in, you know, I've been living in Spain most yeah. of my life, right? Cops in Spain are just normal dudes. They're like firemen. Right. They're like guys in a, in a uniform, but right. they're just guys, you know, they're, you know, maybe they're in good physical condition, you know, they're trained, whatever, yeah. they got a gun, yeah. but they're not, there's none of this, sir, I said, stand behind that right. line, sir, right. you know, that kind of military boot camp bullshit. Right. And here in the States, every I'm afraid to talk to cops. Yeah. Spain, you walk up to a cop and say, hey, man, is it cool to park here? Or, you know, do you, where's a good you know, place to get a sandwich around here? You talk to cops like it's just a guy standing there. Right. You know? Right. They're friendly. They're cool. And the thing is, the legal system in Europe is different in the sense that you, the cops get pulled into a situation if somebody complains. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, if so they can't witness something and then... Well, if they witnessed it, then that's, I guess that would be an issue too, but they're not looking for it. So for example, marijuana, right? Right. If you're growing marijuana in your attic or on your rooftop or Mm -hmm. whatever, if a neighbor calls and complains, then maybe the cops will come by. And the only thing they'll do is they'll look for guns or money. Right. If they don't find guns or money, they don't give a shit that you're growing marijuana. It's actually legal, sort of, in Spain, right? But nobody's flying around with helicopters. Yeah, looking at your electric bill. Exactly. Yeah. There's none of that sort of hunting, right. you know, assumption that, you know, there's no, there's no like uh, property forfeiture laws, mm-hmm. you know. The, no, cops aren't getting rich because they busted you. They're not right. going to like sell your car or whatever. So it's a very, there's an antagonistic 
set of incentives in the U.S. between cops and, and everybody else that I think is really dangerous and destructive. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, we definitely have some crazy people. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm surprised that more crazy stuff doesn't happen because there's a lot of access to guns, a lot of unstable people that aren't getting medicated well or not getting treatment, at least. Um, A lot of people drinking, you know, and I'm just surprised more crazy stuff doesn't happen. Um, But, yeah, I I could never be a cop. I just couldn't. Um, I respect, you know, for what they do. Uh, I think they have, you know, they definitely have a hard job to do. Yeah. And they're dealing with a lot of people. That are uh, they're difficult to deal with in general, but uh, and they're generally not getting that all that love that you guys are getting. No, they're not getting the love either, and, and they, they don't get it from us either because <laughs> we give them shit all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Well, because they couldn't pass the fire test. So <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> so and they had to become a cop. Do they give you shit? Like you guys are? You know, oh yeah, you're, you're the pussies in your. Hey. Yeah. No, but that's all in fun. I uh, yeah. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't do the job. It'd burn yeah. me out. I know it would. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you're talking about kids and and seeing like some of the really horrible situations people are in. Yeah, they probably see a lot more of that than you guys do. That and then just seeing, you know, that like I've always said for a politician, if you really want to know what's going on in your community, talk to your police, talk to your firefighters, talk to your you know the emergency room doctors, right. and just. That's where you get a good idea what's going on, but nobody wants to hear from us. You know yeah. what I mean? They, they, they don't pretend they do, but they the, don't. so the cops are dealing with a lot of things. They're like, "Hey, this isn't working, and this is why." And right. If you have a solution, it doesn't matter because nobody wants to hear from you. you just do yeah. your job, you know. Yeah. Do you watch um, The Wire? No. Oh, uh, you got to watch The Wire, man. Yeah, it's such a great. I've heard that. Such a great you're, series. You're, you're one of many people who said that. Yeah, no, it's it's not an unusual opinion to have, but it's really good in that sense that the they really get into, um, they look at the city of Baltimore from these different perspectives. Yeah. Like, you know, one season it's the cops and the robbers, the crack, yeah. you know, and, all that. and it shows how they're they're basically kind of the same people, right? right? You know, right. and then uh, you've got. The, I mean, they're white, black, and all that, but but there there's a code of honor on mm-hmm. both sides, and it's a very similar code. And then the next season, it's like looking at it from the high school kids and the teachers, right. and you know. And then the next season, it's the press, and then it's the city government. And so each yeah. season's the same story and some of the same characters. I got to see this. Oh, it's amazing. I think. Man. See, I've been. I I always yell at people to think that we should be thinking about the world from that. Like I had a, an epiphany, not epiphany, just a moment. About a year ago, I was coming back from Spokane, driving through uh, one of the eastern Washington towns where there's just a lot of, there's a lot of immigrants working there. And um, I was sitting at a stoplight in, in my you know, nice car and heading back to my beautiful family. And I'm, you know, I got, yeah, I'm, like, I got the, I'm feeling good. I, feel, I got a good thing, and I recognize that. I got a good life, you know, and I'm fortunate and happy. But this car pulled up next to me, and it was this uh, Hispanic couple, younger, and they had, the car was barely running, you know, and kids all over the car. And... And then, and it was just a beautiful, like, sun was kind of getting going down and just good light, you know, and everything was beautiful. And then they pulled up and I just looked over and just thinking about what a crazy, we're both sharing the same time and space and looking at the same stoplight, the same everything, but what a completely different perspective they have in this whole thing, you know. And uh, I think that's important to to keep, you know, is that we, we see things from one view, but really it's. There's lots of different interpretations of this thing, and I and I don't have the right answers, but but I think it's important to recognize that you're not the only view of the same thing, the same reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that the wire sounds like something I'd be. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, and it is that because it's looking at the same thing from five each season is a different perspective. And and it's so interesting how, I mean, like you'll see, I, I remember there's one guy, I can't remember the character's name, but he's one of the major like Coke importers, you know, drug mm-hmm. kind of uh, kingpins. And, but he's smart. And he's like doing night school, you know, doing an MBA or something at yeah. night school. And then he comes back and applies the principles from the business training to his crew. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's this amazing, this hilarious scene where he's like explaining to them why they don't want to be shooting people on the corner because that attracts the cops and it has, you know, it changes the price ratio fluctuations and all this shit. And you can see these like dudes, you know, looking at him like he's crazy. But then like two seasons later, he's developing real estate down at the waterfront. Right, because he's got this connection to a corrupt politician, right. you know, and it's just like that's how it fucking works, man. Yeah. That yeah. is exactly how it works. Yep. Kennedy's grandfather was a fucking bootlegger. Yeah, that's where the family money came a from. A lot of the, yeah. yeah, a lot of money still out there though from bootleg. My, my, I have a buddy who he's got a cabin up in northern Wisconsin. I've been to, but he's got a gun that his grandfather his grandfather's bootlegger and worked for Al Capone. So he was up through, they brought it down through Canada. It came out off, the, right. off of, um, Lake Superior. They'd run it down through this town in Wisconsin, not, not far from where the cabin's at, and into Chicago. But his, he's got a, a gun that with AC initialed on it. You know, the, Al Capone's yeah. gun, really? Yeah, well, it was it, Al Capone. The story is he brought it to his, his, his grandfather got, I don't know, hurt or something. It was in the hospital, and Al Capone brought him. That was his gift. Uh, but he still got the gun. I've seen the gun. It's a pistol? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, they, you know, they're still, they still are living, I'm not living off that money, but that set them up. I mean, his grandfather made some, yeah. some good money yeah. and that set them up still to this day. They're all doing pretty good. Hey, earlier you said something about how there was a spiritual aspect to being with someone when they die. Oh yeah. What, what do you mean by that? I don't know. I think, so we, uh, I remember a conversation I had with this guy one night and he'd been in a head on high energy, you know, high speed collision. And it was one we pulled up and there was this kid, you know, young kid was drunk, just you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, driving some really expensive Audi, you know, sports car, probably mom and dad's. And uh, crossed the center line, tagged this guy coming home from working swing shift at the, you know, right before Christmas. It was like a week before Christmas. Um, but tagged him head on and then, and we pulled up and there was this like car parts. Every, I mean, these cars exploded, you know. And so I make my way down to the truck. You know, the kid's unconscious. He's he's all messed up. So I go down to the truck, and uh, the guy's kind of coming up out of it a little bit, but he's pinned in, and, and he's, I mean, he's bad, you know, and I know it. And, and um, he was talking about his kids and Christmas, and... He's, just, he's delusional? Yeah, or? I mean, we're having a conversation, but he's like, I, I feel like I'm dying, you know. And, and I to me, he was dying. You know, like, I could see... I'm like, he was just... It was just a, a clear, it was a weird conversation. It was, you know, I was just trying to give him to focus on the kids and, and um, you know, kind of tell him the plan of how we're going to get him out of here and what we're going to be doing for him to keep him from dying, you know, and, and, and what to expect and, and stuff. And, but, you know, just having a conversation. And I never heard if he lived or died. Um, he had a, I know he had a big, he, he coded, he, his heart stopped in the hospital, they said a couple of times, but. That's the last I'd heard, you know. I never. So you got him out of there alive. We got him out of there alive. Yeah, he was crashing, um, and he crashed at the hospital. But I don't know what if 
what the long term outcome was on him. We never hear we don't hear back a lot, which is kind of weird too about us. We'll get really involved in some of these calls and then not ever have any feedback about the disposition. Could you get it if you saw it? Sometimes, or? sometimes we, but sometimes it's with the privacy laws and oh. even that gets weird, even though we were there and part of it. It's an incredibly intimate thing that you get in. Yeah. I mean, this guy's telling you he loves his wife and he loves his kids and like yeah. he's saying what may have been his last words. It could have been. That could have been his last conversation. And he was, and we were both very aware of that. You know, he, he, was, he was saying like, I think I'm dying. And, and I'm it, like, you, you're hurt. You're hurt bad. I'm not, I'm going to be honest. You know? Yeah. So are you honest? You don't say, no, yeah. no, you're going to be fine. You, you know, whatever. I, I'm, honest. I'm are, honest. Have you been told how to handle that situation? You kind of learn it um, from the older generation, I think. It's just kind of one of those, there's no training on it, per se. You just kind of. Because doctors often won't admit that you're dying. Yeah. Or, or that your mother's dying. We're kind of told not to do that some. I mean, I think, I don't know what we're told to do, to tell you the truth. I just know what I do. And that's, I just try to be as honest with the family as possible. And a lot of times, like, if we go on a, on a cardiac arrest, we'll work them for a while, and then we can call them at the scene. Work them meaning CPR? Yeah, CPR, and get the monitor hooked up, and abate. CPR you know. almost never works, though. But it does. It does. I've definitely had those saves. Really? You know, yeah. The first time I ever did CPR was 16, and uh, just a, it was a 4th of July event, and just some guy in the crowd coded, and I did CPR on him, and because uh, I'd taken CPR like pretty young. And mouth-to-mouth and all that? No, I had a little barrier, a little pocket barrier, because I was like a uh, life-saving nerd, you know? Yeah. Um, you, I, ha- you just had it with you. Yeah, yeah, my keychain, you know? Yeah. I, I still carry one on my keychain, but um, yeah, he ended up living and going home, and Really? Yeah, he was 100% safe. Without brain damage? Without brain damage, yeah. Because I, I think it's like 4% Yeah, it's less. It's, t- it's like we, 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 we keep alive about 10%. Um, and then after that, then yeah, it's even less. It's like, it might even be like 2% go back home. Actually, 100%. You know? right, but the, yeah. I've been like visited by people that... Yeah, well, you that's know, something, and, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think having those... You know, I've had, I remember a guy in the back of the ambulance having a big heart attack, and he went from... Talking and he was in a lot of pain, you know, but um, just all you know through the whole process of dying. And there is a last breath, I you know, there's a there's something about like because I've walked into the scenes where we've seen I got one that pops out in my head. Guy was just with his wife, you know, they're in bed, he starts making some weird noises, you know, it's like one in the morning. Um, he, he codes, he has a heart, you know, his heart stops, he goes into cardiac arrest. And uh, she's working on him. We had a long response time because it was way, way out there. But we get there. But we, and so, like, by all means, this guy should be dead by now. We're probably going to probably work him. We're probably just going to, you know, kind of go through the motions, get around going, and then see, you know, because we can call it out in the field. You know, on those. Mm-hmm. But um, we walked in. It's like, he's not dead. You know, you just see that he wasn't dead. And then you can walk in on people sometimes and it's like, no, oh, they're dead. You just see there's you, no there's a difference between spirit and color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something to that. I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess none of us know until we die. But I think there's a piece to it, though. I there's there's a there's a fight, and and I don't know if you what was that show with Brad Pitt? Um, it was a mini series with Brad Pitt and uh, or not Brad Pitt, but uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, the True Detective. Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah, I love that. He hit. The nail on the head when, in one of those episodes when he said there's something, there's a piece to a dead person. 
Yeah. As if, you know, no matter what they've been fighting, when you finally let go. And there, there is that. Even out of all the trauma I've seen, like, there is, there kind of is that. You Just a piece of it. It's, it's weird, but it is, mm. you know. Um, so I don't know what that is. I, I, I don't know where we go from here. I don't believe the model that I was growing up, you know, told to believe. I believe in a higher power, um, for sure. I mean, the sun comes up and goes down, and there are a lot of things outside my control. But, um, but I, you know, I don't know what happens after this. I, I, I don't think that we're. I don't know if it's reincarnation. I don't know if we just go to another dimension of reality. I mean, what we've proven like twelve mathematically exists, ten or twelve, yeah. and we perceive three. You operate yeah. within four. You know, time. Right. But there's all this stuff going on around us that we're not receptive to. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. we're there. I don't know. I think there's a spiritual, there, you know, walking into an old house and there's an energy, right? Yeah. Um, so I believe in that. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. Do you think, do you think American society would be healthier if more people saw people die or saw dead people? I mean, you've... We've been pretty sheltered unless it's on TV, you know. Right, and that's it's, bullshit. Yeah. That, that glamorizes it and misrepresents it completely. And, you know, I, like I'm thinking, I interviewed a woman recently, I don't know if you heard the, the podcast with her, she's a mortician, and she's all about, like, you know, have the body at home, and, you know, like, yeah. you know, uh, it's really important that we... Uh, have these rituals around the body yeah. uh, and and the reality, the tangible reality that yeah. this person is now yeah. dead, you right. know? Whereas, you know, it's like they die in the hospital, maybe you don't even know, you get the phone call and you're like, call the mortuary and right. like you never, right. it's all remote control. And now you're someone that who, you know, you've experienced this personally, who knows how many times. Now, I know it's traumatic on one level, but it's also educational on some level, and it probably deepens your appreciation for life and, you know, all that, totally. you know, this, yeah. all those sort of cliches. It's, you know, sometimes it's, uh, I mean, you see the innocent person. I mean, you see the stupid person die sometimes. You see, you know, somebody... Yeah, who, the kid in the Audi, but then the guy who's just trying to... Yeah, you know, there's that, you know, but then there's also the person who hasn't taken care of themselves for years, and, you right. know, and then the... You know the person that just gets hit by a car. I know. I mean, it's just all that. So you recognize like that there are some things I can control in life. Um, Does it frighten you? I mean, in your personal life, you've got a daughter, you've yeah. got a wife. You know, you've got a gay dog. Do you? Do you? <laughs> you know what, what I mean? He's, he's the one that today's he, like the kind that goes to the gym. And looks like I've it. never seen a dog wearing a robe before. I got to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, he's all oh, pumped up though. He's I'm glad you saw it too, because I I've said that from the time he was a pup. I can smell it. Um, sorry. You, you, uh, well, what you know, I was. Uh, well, we were talking the other day uh, about like why you have a dog. He's a Doberman Pinscher, big ass Doberman Pinscher, because yeah. you're not home and you want you know some protection in your house. You're yeah. not around to to make sure everything's cool. Uh, we were talking the other night. Cassie mentioned she was getting a bike, and you suggested she should. Um, you know, take some bike uh, safety classes, which yeah. is a great idea, by the way. Never would have occurred to me. Right. Never, I, I didn't even know there were bike safety classes. Right. But of course, there are in Portland. Didn't occur to me, although I was worried. Like she's going to be riding around. She's a right. little shaky, you know. Um, 
but like you've got to be hypersensitive to the dangers of life just because right. you're seeing it all right. the time, right? You're seeing the ones where things don't work don't out work, well. Yeah, so it does. That's why I think that I like a little risk in my life. Like I said earlier, I like to be calculated. You right. know, I've got sports and I've got hobbies and I've got stuff that are probably, you know, sometimes pushing a little bit. I like to go I like to go deep. I like to go, you know, if I'm out in the forest. I, yeah, I, I, I like some danger, you know, but... I've also been in some situations where I've been scared. Like I got pinned on a rock rafting a couple of years ago that I didn't think I was going to live, and that was um, that was uh, that's a whole other story. There is what that is. What because happened? That, well, we were on on a three day float, and my buddy's dad had a heart attack and died on the float on the, on the float on the river. And so, like twenty minutes later, I mean, we get it, th- this whole ordeal goes out for like it's about a three hour process. We go, his dad dies. Um, we're up in the middle of nowhere. It's you, your buddy, and his dad. Yeah, two boats, two boats. Um, There's four of us. My, my another friend. So two, two and two on the boats. I was with the, on the boat with my my buddy. How old was his dad? Sixty, mm, early sixties. You know, and my, it was a guy I work with. He's a paramedic, and so we'd we'd worked together for like four years, saving many of people. So we worked his dad. We did a full, got IVs going, and got epinephrine on him and i mean for being out in the middle of nowhere he got the greatest care he could get but but you know he died and so we had um we had his two essentially at that point we got two boats now and one pilot and i don't have a lot of time at that point i didn't have a lot of time on white water you know because his dad was the pilot yeah yeah so we got his dad's body strapped in his boat with it was like weekend at Bernie style, you know. He was just sitting up front. We it's like fucking there. deliverance, man. It was crazy. So, but I, his dad had a pontoon boat, and I'd never been on a pontoon boat, you know. I'd always been in a raft, and so I just we got we were coming through these rapids, and we thought just our heads were blurred after just going yeah, through the whole event, you know, whatever. And so we're running out of light. You know, it's getting dark in the can. We got to get out of the canyon. Even to get what, what rivers on the Deschutes? Just, oh yeah, yeah, I've been in there. Yeah. yeah, so we're up, but um, for those that know the Deschutes, Whitehorse Rapids, and so Whitehorse is kind of a three, kind of a three-tiered rapid, and we were the last drop is the biggest drop, and it was springtime. You know, water was moving. There was a lot of water moving, and so this is a class four rapid. You know, on a good day, and uh, so I we, I got in his boat and I was just trying to get a feel for it, and all of a sudden it was like we came around the corner and there's the drop. And there's a big rock that sticks up, so it's like you can go right or left, and and left is probably the better way to go. Right is completely doable, and I was trying to sit. I just was trying to get over to that left side, and then I I just ran out of time. I mean, all of a sudden I was up, and I pinned that boat. It's you and the dead guy. No, uh, the dead guy was on my other on the other boat. I was just I was in the dead guy's boat just by myself right. on the pontoon. Oh, by yourself. Right. But I hit that. I just smacked that pontoon right into that rock, and it just. It dropped it down underneath the water, and then I was stuck on the rock. I mean, that that boat sank. Well, almost sank. It, it was still the the other pontoon was up above water just a little bit. But I'm on. So now I'm I'm holding on this boat stuck on a on a rock on a class four rapid with light going down. Um, down below is what they call the rock garden. That's that, that's the hole that most people die on on the Deschutes if they die. Um, it's springtime. You know, like I've 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 got a couple options. Hey, I can I can kind of wait this thing out through the night. I've got a wetsuit on, but I'm going to get cold. But I, so I can just wait it out through the night. Hope, And every once in a while, I might add, too, there's like these surges of water that come over the boat. Mm. So I've got to really hang on tight. So it's going to be hard to hang on this thing overnight, right. especially when it gets dark and I can't see anything, you know. And your, your friends have already gone down. They're down below me, yeah. Yeah, so I was out. And then the, my set, the other option was to jump and hope I make it just jump. 
I got a life jacket on. But uh, how big is the drop? Uh, I mean, it's probably probably eight foot or so, ten foot drop. But then there's the rock garden below, and it's not so much. I can make it off this. I can jump off this rock, hit the hole, get hopefully. To get, I mean, I've got my life jacket, so I'm probably gonna make it out of the hole. Right. The problem is, you get down in that hole and you get, you know, you hit start hitting rocks, and right below, below that hole is the rock garden. You got to kind of steer to get, miss those in a boat, but. Yeah. I'm probably not going to be able to. You can't see anyway. I'm going to be at the mercy of where the river takes me. Right, you know? right. And if it takes me to that rock garden, my odds are not going to be good. I know You'll this. just get beat to death. Probably drown. I'll just get sucked under. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's not a good position to be in. Or the, right. the, my, my other option was to try and get the boat um, off the rock. And so, well, that's what I ended up doing, though. I, really? I just started deflating the tube. I had to lean out over the boat, over the rapid, so, you know, and just kind of hold on, and and I just started deflating the tube. It took me about 20 minutes, and as I'm deflating that, that tube, the boat's sinking, and, like, so I'm losing. Now I'm really having to hold, but the boat just snapped. I mean, it, it went, and I grabbed a hold of that boat, and I held on for dear fucking life, and I got through, got, you know, made it over the, 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 the drop, <clears throat> got down below. Um, it was, the boat wasn't operable, but. Are you in the boat, or yeah, you're I'm hanging, hanging on I'm the hanging back? on the side. I mean, I'm, huh. I'm in. Yeah, it's kind of two pontoons, and then they have this platform. Right. So I'm not in the seat or anything because I got fucking equipment. Coolers are coming off, and shit's just, right. you know. And it's sitting lopsided because the one, the one pontoon's still sunk, right. and the other one's half flat, and my oar breaks. Like, but I get through there, you know, jump off, and, um, and just let the boat go down the river. And so I got, I got taken in by a couple that were camping out there on, off their boat. Kind of told him what was going on, and so I ended up staying with them. And I did grab my bag with my sleeping bag, so I had my sleeping bag and stuff with me. And I always have a survival kit and stuff. So even if I was on my own that night, I'd been okay. But, but yeah, we were separated for my buddy, uh, you know, for over twenty four hours before we made contact with each other again. Really? But I, but that was um, that was one of those things in life. Um, that was probably my close. I mean, I've had some close calls with with death at fires. You know, a big warehouse fire here when I was a new firefighter. Um, couple others you know on some house fires some wild on fires got in some pretty you know some pretty hairy situations but that was one that i really thought i was going to die that day i mean it just didn't i i shouldn't say that I, it wasn't that i i knew it was going to die or it was i had some decisions to make and none of them are good decisions you know and at the end of them all probability wise i'm probably going to die you know and uh that was kind of a big eye-opener i mean so i think the job in general you have a, an appreciation for life. But that was, you know, overall that was a positive thing. There were some things in my life that, um, that hadn't, you know, I just can't, wasn't really dealing with that maybe I needed to. And, and those instantly came out to the, the forefront, you know. Really? Yeah. It, it shocked you out of yeah, some sort of lethargy. Like, yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, I mean, that was a good thing in, in the long run. But So that's when you gave up the heroin? That's when I gave up the heroin, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Heroin and hookers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's two, two out of three. But yeah, yeah, I still got the. Yeah, everybody's gonna have their one vice. Yeah, whatever, whatever the other H vice yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I think just seeing that you, you just kind of it does it does fit, it desensitizes you to some things in life, and you know, living the girls, they, well, how come you don't get more excited or? Uh, so you are kind of numb sometimes. You know, nothing surprises you. Like mm. there's just nothing that surprises you anymore. Right. Um, nothing really grosses you out anymore. Yeah. I mean, sometimes some smells will get me, especially poop. 
shit out of water. If it's in water, it's one thing, but out of water, I just, I'm not very good on those. But um, <laughs> sometimes a blood or a vomit or a, you know, sometimes that'll get you a little bit. But, yeah. um, you know, but you do get kind of a life short, play hard. Or just, I, I try to make the most out of it, you know. Yeah. And I, just be appreciative of what I have. You know, I'm, right. I'm lucky. I really am. I feel yeah. like a lucky guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I've worked hard too, but. Um, yeah, but like you say, man, those those immigrants at the stoplight, they were working hard. Yeah. You know? That's, yeah. And that's, that's just a roll of the dice. That's yeah. all that is. That's what kills me, these you know, rich assholes saying, Well, I worked for this. Fuck you. Right. Everybody works, man. Yeah. You know, that you don't nobody's ever worked hard enough to get a million dollars. I don't give a shit how hard you work. Yeah. You're lucky. Right. So yeah, be appreciative. Yeah. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. We we yeah. work pushing two hours here i could, oh, really? I could wow. keep rolling but uh you know well, we can do it again sometime yeah but yeah no thanks for having me on i uh i've enjoyed listening to your podcast and just you'd asked me a while back but i uh i don't know i guess i didn't feel like some of the, the people you have on there are really smart and i've enjoyed those but i guess <laughs> just a simpleton but i i, I uh yeah I, i've appreciated everything you've done and and uh yeah, thanks so hopefully somebody likes this and gets something out of this if there's anything uh I can recommend to people is just get up and do, you know, the, the, I think the key to life is just to get up and do something productive every day. You know, you got to get up, you got to complete something with your hands. You know, that way when you look at the mirror at the end of the day, you can say, I've earned my keep, you know, even right. if it's small, you just got to have something. You know? Right. So if you're sitting there lonely, lost, you know, scared, just get up and do, you know, you can do it, clean the house or clean, clean something, you know, I've been going through this purge process of just, like I mentioned earlier, but that's like cleaning up my brain. You know, there's just a lot, yeah. of, lot, lot of little like stuff around the around the corner. You don't really go very far, but you start doing that. And you fi- start finding your brain just just a little bit decluttered. You know. I hear you. I just I just rearranged my office. You know, moved the furniture around and set up the books and sort of yeah. clean. I moved it from one room to a bigger room, so there's more space now. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really feel that it's like the external reflection of something that happens inside. So I think you're talking to the jumpers, the potential jumpers here. Yeah. 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 I saw something happen to your face when you mentioned that. Does that touch you more deeply than other things? Well, suicides, that's a hard one, Um, you know, society wise. And then growing up the church that, you know, what they say, you know, you go to hell if you kill yourself. And, and it's, um, it is a selfish act, but I, man, there's some tormented people too. I think sometimes that, I'm just not. I'm not convinced that that's all. That 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 can't be a good way for somebody to go out. Sometimes, you know, I think that yeah. sometimes there's just some wiring thing. There's just some trauma that people. There is a piece to death, like I said. Earlier. Yeah. And um, if you have to bring it on your own, I'm not condoning that or telling supporting that. But but certainly, there's a lot of people that die. I, it's sad because you see a lot of wasted potential. Yeah. With that, and um, and I think most of that, especially the younger, you know, kids and stuff that. It's just it's sad because it's wa- it is wasted potential, and that is a hard one for us to you know for the 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 the, the leftovers to to deal with you know. But for sure, man, yeah. if you're sitting depressed, all that you just you just got to get up and you got to start talking to people. You gotta, and you can do it. I mean, it just find the smallest step you can do to start there. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it gets back yeah. to what you're saying about the the couple at the the stop sign. It's like, and especially with young people, they don't. 
one of the like the the joys and the curse of being young is that you think what you're feeling right now is what you're going to feel forever right right so that first breakup breaks you in half Mm -hmm. because you think there will never be another and then you get older and it's like you were saying nothing surprises me nothing right right. it's like you get older and i'm i'm 52 and and i've I said this, I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, you know, we were talking about love and that, you know, intoxication. And I was like, dude, I, I haven't felt that for so long. And I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I could feel that because I can't give myself over to it the way I could when I was young. I I can't convince myself it's really that big a deal, you know? No matter what. I mean, I mean, you know, partly because I already am with someone, but even if I weren't, I, I could imagine, you know, forming a partnership and respect yeah. and deep, you know, love and admiration and all. But that's sort of like, wow, this right. is my entire life right. is, you know, fuck that. That's never going to happen yeah. to me again. Now you're too mature. That's maturity, though. I think so. I, yeah. yeah. And it's and that and that's the problem with these, you know, with the young people who get so distraught. Right. Like, no, just hang on. Hang on for a year and you'll see. Like it'll fade, yeah, and you'll be on to something. Well, Dan else. Savage has done well with that, with you know, with the ki- you know the gay kids. It, it gets better. Yeah, the, it know? gets and, better and, thing. And I think exactly. I've, I've kind of used that with the daughter a little bit. Of it gets better. Just this isn't this is nothing. Yeah. You know, just get yeah, get through high school. You can do it. <sighs> you just got to show school. up. Everybody yeah. hates high school. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it All again right. sometime. Yeah. Time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Give it a rest, you're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time thinking about an obligation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say When everyone we ever known said for a headstone Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.